Welcome to everyone uh, joining us. Uh, thank you so much for joining uh, the 2022 ACB Leadership Conference. My name is Michael Talley. I'm the president of the Alabama Council of the Blind, and we're so glad to have you uh, join us today and this afternoon. So what we thought was we had uh, five panelists that joined us last year that uh, under 45 and they are have become very involved in ACB within different aspects and different affiliates and for those who may be new who who weren't with us this time last year uh, I would like first to go around the panel give them a chance to uh, tell you just a little bit about their shelf their affiliates that they may be involved with and then we'll ask some of the questions um, for the panel today so uh Whoever would like to go first, y'all, feel free to chime in there. Sure, I'll go first. Um, All right, Greg, thank you. My my name is uh, Greg Wansnyder, and I am the uh, newly elected, as of the past few months, uh, public relations chair with ACB Next Generation. Um, and uh, so that's, that's a newer affiliate. We are... Um, about uh we are exactly uh two years old and so uh we're we're um in our in our toddler stages we're we're crawling around but we're actually running um because we're we're doing quite good and i'm also um newly elected as of this year uh on the board of directors for ACB students. Um, and I am, uh, newly as well, um, a, a college student, um, a college student at Ethnos 360 Bible Institute. And I live in sunny today, Waukesha, Wisconsin. So. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Greg. And I look forward to, to delving in a little bit more to some of the, you've jumped in feet first and gotten very involved and we're excited about that. So thank you, Greg. Who would like to go next? I can go. Um, my name is Kristen Kelling and I am currently the secretary of the Michigan Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired. I also am a fairly newly elected director on the board of directors for ACB Next Generation, as well as newly appointed as a the programs committee chair for ACB Next Generation. Um, I also serve on um, several other committees within my state affiliate and with ACB Next Generation as well. Um, and I also serve as a Zoom host for ACB community calls. That is great. Thank you so much. I, I, I see that you are uh, probably very busy as well, taking care of all of those duties and responsibilities. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Kristen. All right. Who would like to go next? This is Desiree from Portland, Oregon, and I am heavily involved in my local chapter of ACB. I'm their administrative secretary. I'm also uh, state chair for our auction committee. Prior to that, I worked on our convention planning committee for the last two, three years. I think maybe even longer than that. And I also work for Whole Foundation and Learning Center, which has been around for a heck of a long time. But it is specifically for blind people. So if you want to go to a blind catered camp, 
we we exist. We're we're out here on the West Coast. So there you go. That that's what I'm doing with my time these days. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Desiree. And I believe that leaves us with Maria. Are you there? I believe she was on a while ago. Yes, Maria is still here. All right. Maria, can you hear us or can you, I'm not sure if you're muted. She is unmuted. Okay, thank you. Maria, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your affiliations? We can't hear you unless it may be on your microphone side or something to do with in the Zoom app or on your computer. Maria has uh, her. She's very committed and dedicated. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, she just got back from getting her new guide dog, and she wasn't sure if she's going to be able to even join us today. She is uh, integrating her new guide dog into her home environment and trying to introduce uh, her new guide dog to her uh, retired guide dog. So that and she just flew in today. So uh, she's supposed to got in yesterday, and due to weather, her flight was. I delayed to today. And Maria, if you. Fun times. <laughs> yes, right? Uh, she's very busy. So, Maria, if you can't get unmuted right now, or uh, please speak up at any time if you're able to do that. Our other um, panelist is Matt Salm uh, from. Uh, Kentucky, uh, the Kentucky Council of the Blind, and also of New, uh, Next Generation as well. Uh, his wife, Amanda, is the president of Next Generation, I believe. And so we look forward to hearing from Matt. Matt uh, had mentioned that he may be just a few minutes late getting on. Uh, so whenever he does that, we will definitely take a pause and uh, hear from Matt. And Maria, If, like I said, if you can uh, speak up or figure out your audio issues, we would love to hear from you as well. So what I'd like to do is just kind of you know, go around the uh, table here and ask you, it sounds like y'all have gotten very involved and been very busy over the last year, but tell us about your um, the last year with your involvement with ACB, um, not just affiliations, but tell us about some of the highs, some of the lows, some of the, um, and, and I'll have some follow-up questions for you, but what what has it been like? Uh, and I know that we've all, it's hard to believe that we're coming up on, it's two years of, of dealing with COVID, but for the last year, uh, what what has it been like with you uh, in your uh, related affiliations? Desiree, do you want to go first? I see that you're on screen there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was sitting here thinking about it. Um, well, I uh, ended up pulling out of NextGen at national level because I have made some really big life changes and I'm eager to, um, you know, become self-sustaining financially independent. And so, I mean, I was volunteering at national state and local level ending up, you know, being 40 plus hours a week. And in order to make that change, something had to give. Um, so I, you know, I'm real familiar with my with my state and local, and they've been you know happy to be there. They're flexible with me. It is awesome. In the meantime, you know, just transitioning. So, um, 
you know, just gradually letting various different pieces of next gen go, which was hard. It's because I had a couple conversations with people and they're like, uh, and I'm like, uh, um, but it, but it ended up being, being better. I think in the long term, um, because I'm getting uh, a lot more. I mean, I've always been I've been in leadership positions for a long time, but I'm getting subtle nuances. So I, I've had the wonderful experience of having a state president, Carrie Moose. She's amazing. She and I have spent the last couple of years, and in particular this last year, on a pretty significant learning curve with one another. So she's been learning how to be a better, better mentor. And I've been learning how to be a better mentee and (laughs) definite growing pains. And I can tell you the um, state convention planning committee has been witness to some of those very definite growing pains, but it's been good because she's open we can have real conversations when things get tough, when things get hard. And that's been amazing to work through with her. Yes. And I would say that is, that has been, you know, that certainly adds because, you know, now it's into, we're into the fine tuning, you know, refinement, you know, if I do something stupid or dumb, she'll be like, Hey, and I'll be like, Oh yeah. Okay. You're right. Cause there's, when you get to that, you know, that level where you're in the higher leadership, you got a bunch of moving parts as well as people are coming to you with, you know, social problems. That's something that isn't necessarily talked about a lot. You know, when you go into mentorship, um, I found my experience so far until Carrie, thank you, Carrie, um, to be, you know, pretty practical hands-on. Here's all the things that you're supposed to do, et cetera. But then you start putting in the social, the people skills, and that adds another level entirely. And not everybody's willing to have those conversations to, you know, make it easier, um, for people, you know, for that interaction. So things can run smoothly. And that has been amazing this last year, just just uh, I feel really blessed to have a state president that that is so willing to work with me and so open and yeah so so you bring up s- several very good points uh, uh, balancing uh, your personal and your work life balancing the the hours of that that are required to work with affiliates and so that's a very good point and I appreciate that and then also just about being able to work with others um, whether it's delegating or taking care of projects and tasks and and working through those difficult uh, sometimes conversations so thank you very much those are two very good points that just um, a lot of times we all of us bring different personalities uh, to our affiliates, right? And, and strong able, personalities. <laughs> sure, sure. And so, you know, those, those are those are things that we all face. So I appreciate you being open and honest about that. And uh, we'll come back to you in just a few minutes, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, Greg, let's go to you, sir. Tell us a little bit about like your last year, some of the the things that you've learned getting so involved, um, and and then even becoming a student. I, I it seems like you're very busy, and I imagine balancing that balance is a is, is a task for you as well 
Uh, overcommitted and underpaid is a, a term I use uh. often. Uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, that's okay because, uh, I don't, I don't ask for, you know, uh, uh, you know, anything for the work that I do. I really enjoy volunteering. And, um, as someone who said, uh, to, uh, to let Desiree, uh, go, by the way, I know that I can, you know, call her up at any time and Desiree, who knows? I may visit get visit Oregon again, uh, or not again, but for the first time sometime. You and uh Desiree did help me with one thing before I was calling it the state of Oregon and it's <laughs> Oregon. So I just want to give Desiree uh a shout out for that. So but with all that being said, uh yes, a lot of new changes over the past year. Uh obviously uh being selected as um, the PR committee uh, chair as ACB for ACB Next Generation, I started out as the vice chair um, or the co-chair, and that's something that we've uh, been doing in ACB Next Generation that works out really well. And I was mentored um, in by um, um, someone. Um, and and they mentored me well, and I've had other um, definitely great mentors um, in Next Gen. Um, you know, in um, Melanie Sinoe, who I think is on on the call right now, in Amanda Selm, who have taught me about about good communication, and that I'm valued, and that I am. Um, important uh, to the organization and uh, just several other good good people. Um, with that all being said, uh, and as I was a communication major in college, I'm learning a lot about communication. Um, as I said, um, one of my mentors, um, uh, Amanda Selm, has taught me a lot about uh, communication. Her uh, philosophy is my, uh, you know, phone is, is an open door away. You know, it's, it's, uh, in a matter of speaking, she is willing to be called, um, at any point, you know, when, when we have a question and as, as committee chairs, you know, as members, she will talk to us, um, um, you know, and that's evidenced by the fireside chats and some of the other things. Um, but I've also had some struggles with, uh, with, you know, communication in some areas and, uh, and, you know, newsflash to everyone. People, people aren't perfect. You know, I'm not perfect. You know, I have a personality. Uh, Desiree was talking about some of those personalities and, you know, one thing I've realized, uh, Michael and others, is we are not going to always agree with everyone's um, philosophy, with everyone's strategy, the way they do things. Uh, but we need to be uh, professional about the way uh, that we handle it. Um, so uh, one of the things I learned in uh, in at uh, you know my my uh, bachelor's at Carroll University, where I did my communications degree, is that you cannot not communicate, and uh, that's that's really uh, I important for me. One other thing I'll just touch on uh, really briefly, Michael, um, is um, 
something I'm trying to practice better and something I've made it um, for my committee PR and, um, and uh, things uh, is self-care, right? We need to take care of ourselves before we can take care of others. And I'm sure Desiree and others on this call would, would agree with that. We need to take care of ourselves. What does that look like for me? Well, being a busy student, and being a busy committee chair, it means, sometimes it means staying out of drama, you know, when it happens. Sometimes you need to, you know, just like uh, confront, you know, confrontation, if that's a good way to say it. But sometimes you just need to stay out of different situations that are going to be unhealthy for you. What else does that mean? It can mean, you know, for me, I make sure to play a few games of Dice World, you know, every morning because that's my way of taking care of myself. It can be, you know, at the end of the day, um, listening to some tunes on Alexa before I go to bed. We need to learn, um, especially as busy people and as leaders, how to take care of ourselves. And like I said, I... um, need to practice what I preach more about that, but it's a message I will shout from the rooftops because our self-care and care of our own souls and minds is so important. So I'd like to chime in here and be like a hundred percent. So that's one of the practices I started doing um, was a bit more self-care. And I, the easiest one I found to do was in the morning and in the evening as I'm lying there in bed, as I'm waking up, or as I'm going to sleep, it helps calm my brain down when it's going 100 miles an hour is grateful to, you know, okay, what am I grateful for? Well, I'm grateful yes. for, for my fingernails because they protect my fingers. <laughs> I'm grateful for that pain in my back because it means yes. that my nervous system is working correctly, which means that I'm alive and, you know, um, helps me get focused for the day, as well as calm my brain down at night. And that that's new for me. I hadn't really started doing that till, till this year. And, and I find it, it's such a simple thing to do. It doesn't have to be long, but it's yes. so simple. Thank you, Desiree. Yes. And uh, thank you, Greg, for sharing that with us. And it, it does. It sounds like you have a, a strong support system uh, from leadership, and that always makes a huge difference. Communication and dealing with those difficult topics, difficult issues, uh, and, and unfortunately, sometimes drama. Uh, that, that That is something that all organizations face, all affiliations uh, face. Um, and then self-care. Very good points there. So uh, thank you so much, Greg. Uh, let's go to uh, Kristen uh, Kelling and and uh, hear from you for a few minutes. Okay. So my journey from the last year. Um, so I've, I feel like I've been learning a lot about how to lead. I've, um, this last year really has been a year of, of development for me and, and learning all that I can. So I joined ACB Next Generation just over a year ago. Um, just after they turned one, I I took the plunge and I joined, never imagining that I would be where I'm at today. Um, I've already been kind of doing stuff at my, the state and local level, but I wasn't chairing anything. I was just on committees. You know, I was on the board. But um, and then after I did that, things kind of started to happen last year. 
um, joining ACB Next Generation and um, becoming a chair of our, our calling committee at the, the local chapter level and, and then becoming the chair of membership at the state level. Um, and now, of course, being elected to the ACB Next Generation board and becoming a committee chair, you know, joining committees and um, actually a committee co-chair rather, joining committees and, and all that fun stuff. But there are some things that I've learned from all of that. Um, I can preface this by saying that I am busier now than I was at the, be at the beginning of the pandemic um, and even before the pandemic. So, um, and so I found number one, that you have to learn how to manage your time and you have to learn how to keep track of the things that you need to do when, because if, if you don't, then you're, you're going to end up just, um, over committing to things and overbooking, which I have done, um, unintentionally because I forget things. Because I'm, you know, so that's, that's just one of the things. And another thing is I've learned that communication is key. I've already knew this, but even more so it's, it's a reminder that, that you have to communicate and you have to be willing to collaborate with others and work as a team when you're on a committee, um, you know, particularly programs and convention um, at ACB Next Generation, it's a team effort. You you cannot, it is not the Kristen Kelling show. Um, and, and so learning more about what that means and being a chair and a co-chair of committees also, you, you have to look at not only your own interests, but the interests of those on the committee. You have to make sure that the committee is a safe and respectful and welcoming place to be. Um, and I've learned that as, as of recent and, and learning about how we can do that. I have learned so much about resolving conflict and, and facing confrontation head on and dealing with it within the last couple of months, really, within the last, actually the last couple of weeks than I ever imagined that I would delve into within my first year um, in an affiliate. But it's been good because they're all good leadership qualities that you have to have. Because if, if, you're, not, if you're not able to do that, it makes it harder to lead, right? So- Absolutely. And then, and then you know, the self-care. Um, I have been- thinking a lot lately about self-care and not just self-care, but about stress management and preventing burnout. Um, if you overcommit to things and I, I love everything that I do, which is it's, it's so hard. And I, I, as a weakness, I, I struggle with saying no. And I, I think that we've all been through that, that I'm, I'm sure the other panelists can, can say that they've been through that. Yep. Um, just not, so then we overcommit ourselves and, and overbook ourselves and then we get worn out and burn out and all that fun stuff. So we have to come up with things that can help, you know, turn it all off um, at the end of the day. So for me, like I 
um, I, I do intentionally take time just as the others do to take care of myself. And sometimes it means that I am not going to make myself available to anyone or, or for any purpose during this time frame, so that I can make sure that I take care of myself. Because one of the things in social work that was drilled into me was that if you if if you don't help yourself, if you don't take care of yourself, then you're not going to be, it's not beneficial to anyone. You're not going to be useful to anybody. So those are just some of the things that that I'm working on putting more into practice and um and learning how to um how to do that. And I, I appreciate the opportunities that I've had within ACB, um, ACB Next Generation and, and at the state level to really just try new things and, and branch out and, and develop. And I'm I'm looking forward to doing that more in the future. So Kristen, you bring up several good points there as far as leadership and how, how you've grown even over the last year. And uh, let me ask you about delegating tasks. Um, are you able to do that? Sometimes it's tougher for some. They, they, they don't trust that it'll be done or done right. Um, and is that something you've been able to do is to, uh, you're talking about working with committees and, and, and trying to collaborate and you're communicating, but have you found it difficult to delegate some of the, the tasks that you might have to give you a little bit more time? I think actually that part has been pretty straightforward. Um, I, I do also have a co-chair, which I'm really grateful for, um, particularly for programs. Um, a good example was when we had our birthday week, um, the ACB Next Generation birthday week just a couple weeks ago, we delegated all um, a lot of that out. We, we kind of worked with everybody. Who's going to take ownership of this event? Who's going to host it? because we had a different event every day. And so for us, it was basically about managing, kind of getting all of that out and then just kind of managing the logistics, making sure all that went smoothly. So we were able to do that more effectively while not having to worry about the meat and potatoes of the event because we trusted our committee members and, and we trusted our host to keep things secure. Yes. Thank you. That's some very good advice. And uh, for those who it shows that the ability or actually delegating those tasks can greatly help uh, make the whole process smoother and easier for everyone involved. So thank you. All right. Let's see if we got Maria. Um, Her audio is fixed and um, hopefully we can go to her. Maria Christick. Maria is still unmuted, but we are not hearing from her. Maria. Uh Oh, I'm sorry. You may have a got it button or else you will need to come back or go out and come back in. Yes. Okay. How about Mr. Matt Salm? Is he with us while we wait on Maria? He is not. Okay, that is. I've no been problem. looking for him though. Sure, sure. And he, like I said, thank you, thank you so much for your help, uh, think, and Maria. Can, yes, Greg. Can I just um, say something about delegating tasks? Real yes, quick? please go ahead, <laughs> sir. I've. Um, this is <laughs> something I very rarely struggle with lately. Um, I know, but maybe did struggle with it in the past. I know what I'm not good at, you know, 
I know that I'm not strong, kind of like what Kristen was alluding to. Like, I know I'm not strong with everything. And, and to be honest, <laughs> I, I told my friends who are listening, I said, this is going to be me being brutally honest because, you know, there are certain things that I just don't like doing. You know, sure, don't sure. want to do. Now, I'm not saying this is a good way to delegate tasks. Don't don't just put off the things that you you know don't like doing <laughs> to somebody else. But I've got someone who takes our monthly minutes for our meeting. A uh, um, young uh, woman from or- Oregon, uh, Cassie Trosper. She does excellent at minutes. Best minute taker I know. Um, and and I she said, you know. Um, she she must have seen me take minutes for uh, some meeting, and she was like, uh, "You know, Greg, do you need someone to take minutes for you?" And and I said, "Cassie, I would love that. I would absolutely enjoy that because that's something I don't do well at. So that delegating tasks is really, really important. It helps when you have people that are willing to step up." Um, and I mean, it, it just and when you delegate tax, I just want to clarify, it doesn't mean that you're going to go, oh, by the way, Greg, you're going to do this. Um, you can ask, you know, hey, would you be willing to do this? Or maybe or maybe you put out the list of tasks and, and people tend to step up. Um, it's, it's all in how you approach it. Um. Yes and no, because I've been running up against something that I know other leadership people and, you know, we've been staying pretty positive. But but what do you do? I haven't figured out a good balance for this is um, you have a timeline, you have a deadline and you yourself are incredibly busy, but you know you can get the task if you ask you know, your fellow teammates to say, hey, can you help do this thing? Or nobody volunteers, like, what do you what do you do with that? Because, you know, you end up running into, if I ask these people, hey, can you do a thing? And you know, some of them are going to take their time and that you'll have to go chase them down to get the task done and it won't necessarily get done by the deadline versus figuring out how to manage your own schedule, getting it done. And you know, it's going to get done. I mean, where, what do you do with that? Like, do, do any of you have any good ideas? Cause I know that there's people out there listening to this who, who've run into this too. So it's like, do you do it yourself or do you let them practice? Even if you know, they're going to go past the deadline. One of my uh, mentors um, in ACB um, taught me, we don't handhold, you know, and that's been a a very, you know, so in other words, if a project doesn't fall on its face, if a project falls on its face because, um, you know, someone said they were going to do it and then they didn't get it done, then... I guess the the project or the initiative uh, falls on its face. I try not to handhold or micromanage 
as a committee chair. So I try not to say, okay, you volunteered to do this. Now I'm going to send you a message and then I'm going to send you an email. <laughs> that's just, that's just my structure that I've kind of learned and I'm still learning, but that's, I, I don't know if that helps or not, but that's kind of. Yeah, no, I hate micromanaging. I'd rather move my schedule around than micromanage any day. Even if I really don't have time to do it, and if I end up missing other deadlines, I'd just rather do that than micromanage. However, you got to give time and space for people to practice so they get better. So it's like, would it, you know, I, yeah, I, I haven't found a good balance for some some of this stuff yet. It almost sounds like, and this is where you know the the development is is coming in is there's a balance between because you don't necessarily want to handhold and you don't want to cattle either. <laughs> um, but I, and I think it comes and I know that one of the things that for committees that I've been on that has been put out there convention, for instance, there are some pretty tight, you know, there are some pretty, you know, deadlines. We yeah, have to yeah, meet, we know what the deadlines are. And and we are told if you are struggling to get the deadline done, then you need to be to reach out and ask for help if you need it. Now, of course, so whether that person does it or not. So I think this is definitely something that um, it's it's kind of a, a difficult thing. Oh. Oh, it is because everybody has an opinion and loves to give them. Yeah, you're not a mind reader. We're not mind readers. We don't know if they need help or not. Yes. So let me um let me let me say this too is delegating uh is not necessarily uh a bad thing. Um and I like what Greg said about our strengths and our weaknesses as leadership. So um if we don't delegate sometimes we can end up hurting our affiliate, our organization. So like oh, fundraising I agree. Fundraising is one of my worst. Uh, it's my weakest uh, links, right? In my leadership, and so if if and I feel bad because fundraising is so important. So if I'm not good at that, and I don't find someone that is good at it, or someone that will step up and do it, then we end up hurting our uh, fundraising efforts, right? Um, so that's one of those things too that we need to be able to. Uh, put people in places uh, that they, where their strengths are, and then we need to recognize our own weaknesses. Also, I don't know if you guys kind of talk about this a little bit. The, the, I don't know if y'all have heard of the 20-80 rule where 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. Now, that's really tough, Where and that's where you really have to practice self-care is where you've got 20% of a board or a committee doing 80% of the work, and you do have some people uh, getting burnt out at times, and, and they'll even leave. They'll leave the organization or leave the affiliate, and that's one thing we have to be careful too is 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 overworking people to the point that they don't even want to be involved anymore. Have y'all yeah. found that to um, be true? Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, like, and that's when it comes down to because we have to. I think one thing you have to recognize is when it comes to anything in ACB, we're all volunteers. We are all volunteers too. We all have lives outside, um, and I really like what you said, Michael, about 
if you know that somebody is strong in a particular area or they're passionate about it, then that could be something, you know, then then that person may have tasks around that that fit. Um, and I mean, so of course, but of course, I don't. Yeah, but but I've I've definitely heard the twenty eighty rule in terms of affiliates and organizations and things like that. Um, and so then you just have the same members on all the committees and doing everything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Desiree, did you want to say anything to that? No, I, I 100% agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And, and, you know, the 80%, again, as I was saying, loves to have those opinions, but then it ends up being 20% of us doing all the work. So, you, you know, and, and I just would like to encourage the 80% come volunteer so we don't get burnout, you know? That, that would be amazing. Michael, I'm, I'm finally here. So hey, don't no no worries, man. The, hey, we're just glad to have you. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us. And for those who um, were not on the call this time last year, if you will, just quickly take a minute and introduce yourself and tell us about your affiliations. Yeah, and real quick, I do want to jump in on the conversation here. Um, so I'm sure everybody knows me, but my name is Matt Selm. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. The president of the Kentucky Council of Blind and the first vice president of ACB Next Generation, as well as I'm on the Information Access Committee and the Borough Collie Leadership Institute. Um, all right, enough of that. So to jump in, so yes, twenty uh, percent of the people do do. I, I have heard this often that they do eighty percent of the work, and I think sometimes what the What would be helpful for everyone to realize is that the more people that do work, the less that the less work that one person has to do overall, because ideally we fragment those responsibilities into little teeny tiny pieces. You know, it's uh, it's always easier to run a mile if you run telephone pole to telephone pole than if you run mile marker to mile marker. Right, it's just breaking that up into smaller pieces, um, and yeah, I'm, not, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt the whole discussion. So, go, no, go no, I appreciate you jumping in and letting us know that you were um, you're with us, and I want you to be a part of this. This has been a great dialogue, and it, it's a roundtable discussion. I want us all to be able to chip in and encourage each other, and to give some good advice that may help some of our, our leaders out there. Um, and Maria, I want to check in one more time. Is she with us? And do we have audio from Maria? Christic? All right. Maria is still with us, but All right. she is not speaking. Oh, okay. That's fine. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Maria. We know that you've tried and uh, we appreciate that. And also understand that you've been extremely busy with uh, the guide dog. Congratulations on, on getting your new guide dog. And I hope that goes very well, the integration into home. So, um, so Matt, with tell us a little bit. 
about balancing you you're obviously very involved being, being president of the Kentucky Council of the Blind first vice president of next generation how how do you balance your the tasks the projects uh, the personalities and involved with that how how do you balance that earlier we were talking about self care and um but but also balancing the projects and tasks and well, over the last year has that been stressful on you have you how have you handled that well, I think as I heard others say on this call, and I will echo the sentiment, you know, sometimes uh, that can be difficult and it is hard to say no, you know, I, I mean, I think I'm kind of in the same boat as Kristen as, uh, and, you know, I know. Greg and Desiree as well is, you know, you have to, you have to have a calendar. You have to write down stuff down, which I don't always do. That's, that gets me into trouble. Um, you know, there's a lot of balls to juggle and to try to keep in the air. And, you know, sometimes we're just going to drop one. I mean, that's the unfortunate piece, but that, that happens. Um, I would say probably in the, you know, in the past year, I feel like we've, well, you know, not everyone is always going to agree with everyone else. And so it does become important to create a culture of openness. And sometimes that is not always easily done. Um, you know, I, I think I'm sure that these are all questions that that people were discussing centuries before, and I'm sure that they'll be discussing centuries after we're all long gone. But, um, you know, I feel like, I feel like these are issues that we've all, that have been struggled with in the past. And, you know, some people have found a way to solve these problems and we just got to find, find our way in that regard. So, Michael, can I just give one suggestion of like when Matt was talking about like um, just managing personalities and managing, you know, people and may I just give one suggestion of what I do on kind of a committee chair level? And I don't know if this fits in with um, L10 or V8 or B5 or whatever we're calling. No, it's L10, but whatever uh, ACB's committee structure, I have to look more into that. But um, I really um, believe that each member needs to feel that meetings are safe spaces. And I'm, I'm really big into that language and in that word. So what I, what I do to foster that and, and Matt kind of got sucked into it when he came to my last meeting as a guest, but I asked my whole committee, I said, I say, how are you doing? You know, um, 
how are you doing this week or or this month? And what um, sometimes I'll change the question, like, what is your biggest win been for the month? Not just necessarily with public relations, but personally as well. You know, we want to hear and that that does two things. And then um, bring up, uh, you know, sometimes I'll say summarize what you uh, got out of this committee meeting. That does a couple things. That involves them in the committee um, overall. That makes sure that everyone gets feels important in the committee, and it fosters better committee um, fellowship. You know, um, to use that word, um, I'm sure better committee cohesion will say that. Um, yes. and, and, uh, so that's just, that's just something I do. And I don't know if other committees, you know, would want to try that. It does take, I mean, it takes about, mm, um, Matt, how long did it take us? Like 12 to 15 minutes to do, but it's 10, it's, 10 it's minutes, yeah. 10 minutes. It, it yeah. But it's, okay. it's, it's, it was worth every like second of that 10 minutes every 600 seconds of that 10 minutes it was worth it to hear um you know both as a committee chair to hear how yes. the committee was invested in in that and um just as um a person too so that's really good. Thank you so much, Greg. I, I appreciate that. And guys, I want each of you to know how much I appreciate you being candid and open here today because there's a lot of people listening right now that are going to be able to take something away from this. They'll be able to um, hear something that they can relate to, something that uh, will be able to help them in their leadership as well. So we've got about 15 minutes uh, or 13 or 14 minutes to be exact. And I would like to ask each of you just to spend a minute or two um, talking about things that you think we can do better. Any organization, as good as we are, we can do better. And so whether it's on a national, a state, or a local level, um, and not calling out any particular person or leader or anything like that, but how could we uh, as ACB uh, improve things? How can we take it to the next level? ACB has come a long ways over the last four, five, ten years, 15 years, but we want to continue to grow and to improve. So will one of you just uh, take a minute or two and, and kind of offer some thoughts? Sure. I'll start. Um, one, we can communicate better. We need to communicate better. And whether it's, you know, setting up a, a communication training or things like that, we need to be better at communicating. And folks, I don't just mean email and messenger. Sometimes you just need to pick up the phone and call people. Sometimes it is an email. But um, I sort of believe... There's there's a difference right between micromanagement and over communication. I would I would go you know along the lines of over communication sometimes and communicate with people again like I just said you know check in with them how are we doing what do you need help with what kind of things and I know that sounds good in theory and and 
you know, even some of you on this call are like, I don't have time for that, but we need to make time for that. And the second thing I'll just say quickly, and then I'll throw it over to, you know, to my, um, to my friends here. Um, but we need to get younger people into ACB. We need to, I would like to see next gen and students and our state affiliates grow in younger members in 2022. So, yep, I'm call I'm calling it out. This is usually Desiree, I'm sorry, I'm stealing your job here. This is usually <laughs> but 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 I'm calling it out. We need younger people. And we need younger people who can learn from older people, but we need younger people. We need new ideas. We need um, new, new blood, so to speak in the, in the community. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I would say to that. Very good. Thank you, Greg. Who'd like to go next? I will. Um, right. So number one, I, I definitely do agree about communication. Communication is something that is, um, if, if it's anything that I've I've learned um, in the past in, in recent weeks is communication is key and we have to be able to do it better. We can't not communicate with one another. Um, and that means communication with with co-chairs. It means communication with members. Um, and we need to make sure that we are making members that we are leading feel comfortable about coming to us and, and talking with us. And I think another one that I would like to see is more training and information on collaboration and team building um, and learning to work together as a team. Teamwork, when you are on a committee, when you are on a board, and even outside of ACB is crucial, yes. and we need to do it better. Yes. Um, another one is that I would like to see m- mentorship opportunities within ACB where people who have been leading for longer periods of time and who have a lot of experience can mentor those of us who are are developing i would i would really i really think that that we need a forum to be able to learn from each other and to be able to bring what we've learned and apply it to how we lead how we chair committees, um, whether you decide to go out and run for a president's position in the affiliate or in the chapter, it's all, it's, you know, maybe, maybe even if you're, even if you're a secretary and you want to learn how to take notes better. I mean, I, I, it's, I think that it would be really great to have those opportunities and in that front, I would like us to um, possibly consider having more opportunities for training um, in various leadership skills. 
um, because it's it's all just so important. And finally, it's it's I'd like to see us, as Greg has said, and it's not just younger members that I want to see. I want to see more people, including the members that we have, step up. Step up and, and share in, in the amazing work that ACB is doing, that your affiliates are doing, that your chapters are doing. And those are, are just some of the things that I have. Thank you, Kristen. Those are very, very good points. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, either Matt or Desiree, would you like to go? I'll go for it. Sounds good, Desiree. Um, Thank you. Going back to that communication bit, just to get super specific. I don't care if you're way up at the top, president, chair, or just a member. All of us really need to get get a lot better at listening to one another. Just because words are coming at you doesn't mean you have to respond back that way. And it's, you know, like you might get mad, you might get angry. Okay, so go work on that. Have your explosion, not in the meeting, but then go talk to that person. Like, figure out what they meant. They might not have meant what you perceived. Be open to hearing the person. And I think there's not enough of that, that that happens. And it's like things would work better because some of those practical skills, that, that's pretty easy to teach. But, but the listening, so your members feel heard, so your members feel safe, whether you're local level, state level, national, you know, even if you're at the top national, national, like, like, listen, even if it hurts your feelings, there's probably something there that that person was trying to communicate. So go have your, you know, hurt feelings and then come back and ask and be like, okay, what did you mean by this? This, this is what it felt like, but that's not necessarily what the person meant. And, and I, and I really encourage everybody to do a lot more listening because that would help with this communication business significantly. Absolutely. Yes. It's good stuff. Thank you, Desiree. Take take that ego, leave it out the door. We're here to work. If you let your personal stuff get in the way, we can't work and accomplish things. Bottom line. There you go. I'm done. (laughs) Ah, Thank you, Desiree. That's good stuff. All right, Matt, over to you, sir. Then we're going to wrap it up. Yeah, I'm going to tag on the Desiree a little bit and say that listening is always a great component as well as empathy and taking perspective of others. Um, those are always good, good things to do. Uh, going back to the original question, uh, you know, for ACB as a whole, um, well, or just individuals that are within the sound of my voice, if you are, involved in a special interest affiliate and not yet involved in your state affiliate, please reach out to your states. They need you. And uh, if you are involved in your state and you see some special interest groups that, you know, tickle your fancy, then 
please reach out to them. They also need you. Um, ACB as a bottom-up organization thrives on its affiliates, and you will have much more contact with your local chapters and with your state as just a general member than you may with ACB, given the course of the entire calendar year. Uh, For ACB, I, I think they need, you know, we do do a lot of great things, a lot of great things, actually, that really help serve our mission and move the ball forward together as a group. Uh, But sometimes people don't always hear about that. And so I think part of ACB's opportunity is to not only brag about what they do more, but in that same space to brag about why it is important for you know Joe Schmo to become involved in ACB and its various state affiliates you know we do a, a lot of work with sometimes a very small group of people we make a large impact but if we had more people that expands our reach, expands our capabilities. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, we really need to be the, the messenger of why I think you should, you know, if you're not involved in, in ACB, why you need to come, uh, you know, put a helmet on and uh, join the team and get out there on the field to, to play some ball. You know, I I just, um, you know, we, I feel like there's a lot of people that are, we have a lot of opportunity to expand in that manner. And if, if ACB is not here, you know, we don't get things done. Uh, like the recognition of the importance of IU description or like some of our imperatives. And we um, need to wrap up really soon. I do apologize. I'm sorry. Go ahead. To wrap up, to wrap up yeah. soon. Okay. Well, I will, I will, I will yield. Michael, it's <laughs> all you. No, thank you, Matt. Thank you so much. And uh, so I'm just going to take 30 seconds to say thank you so much to each and every panelist here today. You guys did a great job. Uh, We've heard a lot about communication and leadership skills, and we have – appreciate your candidness, and I appreciate you serving, and good luck to you all, and look forward to hearing from you again here in the very near future. So thank you all so much. Thank you for everyone for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of the leadership conference. Thank Thank you. you. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Doug Powell, a, a member of the ACB board, and I'm also a co- co-chair of the um, of the uh, Rehabilitation Issues Task Force. But today, I'm kind of here representing 
Um, the, uh, I'm, I'm also vice president of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, one of the special interest affiliates of the ACB. And uh, we have with us also today, uh, Karen Blackowicz, uh, who's the president of the New York affiliate, and uh, uh, Michael Garrett, who is uh, a member of the Texas affiliate. And I'm not sure I've heard check in yet, but I, I'm hoping that um, Regina, Marie, um, uh, and, uh, and uh, Joe Green are going to check in from Sacramento, California. Uh, they've got an innovative way of uh, putting together a chapter. So uh, let's jump right. Let's jump right in. And um, Karen, I, I'd like to hear, and and hopefully your your uh, our listeners would like to hear about what uh, New York is doing to get stuff done in New York. Well, hi, Doug, and I want to thank hi. you for having me. Um, as you said so eloquently in your introduction, I am president of the New York Affiliate. I'm also chairperson for the State Committee of Blind Vendors here in New York, which does make me a blind vendor. Um, but New York's been very active. Um, we're doing quite a bit, and a big key to that is through making um, uh, communication and um, associations with different people in um, our local governments. Um, so one of the big things that we've uh, been working on and have accomplished is um, for the first time ever in the state of the state address, our New York governor, Hochul, recognized the business enterprise program, which is part of the Randolph Shepard uh, federal program uh, in her state of the state, uh, acknowledging expansion and growth. It was huge. And, um, that's all through making relationships within members of her cabinet and office. So we're very proud of that. Um, along with that, ACB of New York and NFB of New York are working on some issues that we are in line with um joint advocacy is always a benefit when you're working for for mutual goals um with saying that nothing will change the foundational differences uh between acb and nfb and there is no talk of mergers or anything like that but working together and having more people um actively advocating for the things that are necessary um, has, has helped the cause here in New York. Great. Can, uh, some, of, some of our listeners may not be aware of what the Randolph Shepard and the BEP programs are, so could you, could you take a minute to, to just describe what, what they are and, and how they're funded and, and why we're talking about them as part of, uh, as part of ACB? Sure, absolutely. Um, the Federal Randolph Shepard Act is um, an act that was put in place in the early 1900s by Senator Randolph and Senator Shepard to give blind entrepreneurs the opportunity uh, to own their own business. Um, 
in, in multiple different ways around the country. Um, there's vending facilities, there's cafeterias, all different types of food service, and there's very specific laws and guidelines around this particular act. And then each state has its own uh, set of rules and regulations known as mini Randolph Shepard acts. So here in New York, we have one of the best in the country, which gives blind entrepreneurs the right to operate a food service facility or automatic facility, which is a vending facility on all state grounds. So anything that's owned and operated by New York state, we have the first right of refusal, meaning we have the first option to take over those facilities on those properties. Um, that particular act was put into place or was expanded on in 2010. And there's been very little movement in New York uh, with that until recently. Uh, all of a sudden in the last year or two, um, the State Committee of Blind Vendors really understood and does understand now the power each state committee has. Um, and we can advocate for ourselves and push our state licensing agencies, um, which is the entity that oversees everything we do. Then the BEP uh, program. The BEP program is a business enterprise program. So that is for, um, it just means blind entrepreneurs can own and operate these facilities on the guidelines set forth through each individual state. And of course, under the federal guidelines. And, and th that's supposed to be through the, the rehab, the, the rehab uh, agency, right? In, in each state, the, the, uh, the BEP program trains well, people. Yes. Or, so the state uh, licensing agency, state licensing agency is the agency that actually does train the individuals. However, in each state, it's under a different umbrella here. We're under the New York State Commission for the Blind, which then is under the umbrella of Office of Child and Family Services. In most cases, um, the individual states are under whatever um, blind service office um, houses them. So it really is different in all states. Great. Thank you. Um, is that pretty much what you wanted to cover initially? Um, yeah, that, but just that, the working together and the advocating, yes. um, when people work together and build relationships, there's no doubt that we can pursue, pursue our goals um, together and probably achieve more um, by working with other entities and the fact of building relationships. It only takes a couple people to make those connections and build relationships, but it takes a whole team uh, to work on the advocacy. Great. Yeah. And you were at uh, uh, New York and Lori Scharf and, and, and NFB uh, made some inroads into the uh, absentee ballot system too, right? We have, I, I was hoping by the, the point of this call, I would have some great news to announce, but unfortunately I don't, or I can't right now, but you know, we, we have been advocating hard for accessible voting. Um, right now it is in place that we can get our information online. Unfortunately, we do still have to mail um, 
everything back. So there's some concessions made, like you can sign an envelope anywhere opposed to trying to find a line and, and all that. But um, not as far as long as, as we'd like to be. But yes, we are still working on that. Gotcha. Great. Thanks. All right. Let's move to, uh, to Michael. Uh, Michael Garrett is a member of the Texas uh, affiliate. And uh, Michael, why don't you tell us what Texas is doing to, um, to, be a, uh, to, to maintain being a vital affiliate of ACB? Thank you, Doug. Glad to be here. Uh, I serve as the current first vice president of uh, ACBT. And uh, so I have the, the duty of chairing the membership committee. And our president has given us a, a sort of a motto for which to work under. And it's just a simple slogan, connect, communicate, and collaborate. And so we are pretty much a committee-driven uh, organization. And so we try to use that slogan to get things done and in terms of membership of course uh, you really you want to try i guess the two things you really want to try to do is recruit and retain so a lot of our activities have been centered around recruiting and retaining uh, and we are committee dri committee driven so we we try to connect reach out with other committees and collaborate collaborate with them and communicate with them so that we can get some things done so what for example there's certain things that we've done we have what we call a membership morale committee and that that's that's once you become a member the membership morale committee reaches out and does things to try to keep morale up to to help drive the membership also so we've collaborated with that committee to put on certain uh, functions, and especially during this time of, of COVID, COVID um, we've, we've held what we call a mass chapter meeting, where all of our chapters around the state uh, came together for a mass chapter meeting. That's what we called it. And we had a, had a great time uh, sh uh, showcasing uh, the accomplishments of each chapter. Uh, we had a what we called a block party. One Friday night, we just decided to get together for fun, uh, showcased our talents. Uh, these were, were members from all around the state. Uh, we've uh, put on some health care related calls. Uh, we had a call with uh, our our sponsors uh, to inform our members about the, about uh, what they do and and why they why they sponsor us. Uh, we also had a, a uh, call on mindfulness, which is a, a, a this new I, I would call it a new uh, scientific. Uh, mind, uh, psychological uh, stability, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, form of encouraging people to be their best selves. Very interesting topic, very, very interesting uh, subject. We also had a um, 
had a call on uh, or have had some calls on helpful apps and and then the the latest uh series that we've been doing is called you do what uh which is designed to show people that even though you're blind or visually impaired you can do some amazing things and and that's uh and so we use that as a recruiting tool uh and as a, a an encouragement tool for for our for our members to let let them know that you can still do uh, great things. You don't have to give up things once you lose your vision. And one of the biggest projects that we've had over the last 20 years is what we call the Carolyn Garrett Youth Leadership Conference, where we, every biennium, because our state legislature meets uh, every other year, we, we ask students, high school students from around the state to come together uh, in our state capital. And when we do it in person, that's where we do it, in the state capital of Austin. And we, we have a seminar of, of advocacy, community, education, uh, independent living skills, all those different things over that weekend. And then we take them to the capital uh, on that Monday, and they get a chance to meet a state legislate, le legislator or someone from their office. They get a chance to ho host the meeting because they ask the questions. And we've actually had a few members come out of come out of uh, this uh, particular uh, function. Uh, uh, a lot of people may know uh, Melanie Alt Sanoi. She was she was one of the first. Uh, attendees at this conference. This was a conference so named for Carolyn because this was the last thing she told me she wanted to happen before her unfortunate accident. And I vowed that uh, I would try to, to get it going, and it's been going for over 22 years. Wonderful. Great. Um, Regina and Joe, uh, I hope you have unmuted yourself because we, when we came on, we were muted. So, um, are you there? Yes. Great. Yes. All right. Super. <laughs> super. Regina and Joe are from Sacramento, California, and they have uh, taken on a, a very uh, unique kind of an approach to uh, chapters. And so I'm going to swing it over to them and let them tell you what it's all about. Well, hello. My name is Regina Frank. You may know me in the community as Regina Marie, but um, I am the president of Inclusive Diversity of California. And our tagline is celebrating unity, honoring diversity. And this was inspired first by a steering committee Right after the incident, the death of George Floyd, a lot of consciousness was raised, including in the California Council of the Blind. And the president, Gabe Griffith, appointed myself and Jessica Marquez to start the steering committee along with Guillermo Robles. And Jessica Marquez is currently our board secretary. And we also, Guillermo helps with our email lists. So... We got that committee started 
And then we realized we needed other people representing other perspectives. So Pamela Metz, we recruited her to our committee and she became vice president of our current board. And then Susan Kijazawa, a member from San Francisco, a very active CCB member, and Stephanie Watts, another active CCB member, we, who also helped with our email connection. So we recruited them to our committee. And when we held our focus calls, it was really clear that people wanted to become an affiliate. And very few of us knew anything about that. So we called on Vita Zavali, who was a longtime member as well. And she's now our treasurer. And she was very pivotal. She has a lot of experience. And so does Pam Metz and other people along the way that including Jeff Tom and Robert Acosta. So I guess what I'm saying, a lot of people <laughs> started this and realized that we're stronger when we include diversity, inclusion, and equity in our mission. And that's what we're doing for ACB and for CCB specifically as our affiliate. So um, we got this together. We decided what is our, what do we need to do? And the first thing we know is we need to support and mentor people that are from marginalized communities that might be from backgrounds that are black, indigenous, um, Asian, Pacific Islander, Hispanic, indigenous people. So people that are underserved and we know that's true. And then we need to do the same for allies, people that want to help that might be from, you know, a Caucasian background, but they, they feel strongly about this as well. We also need to recruit underserved people so they can understand what blind people and people with low vision can accomplish and have a support system and then educate and support the California Council of the Blind and California as a whole, how to include these groups and advocate for them while we're still advocating for blind and low vision people. And so these roles overlap and we all have a lot to learn and a lot to teach each other, but every single member of the IDC is so important to this. Right now we have around 40 members and we're still growing. And one of the things that is pivotal is trying to create leadership and Aisha McKinney what, uh, went and Joe Green are two of our board members that have never been members of a board of directors of any organization. So I'll turn it over to Joe to talk about that a little bit. Hello, um, I'm a director. Also, I uh, chair the Constitution and Bylaws, as well as I'm, I am co-chair of the membership committee. Uh, the Inclusive Diversity Committee is uh, of California. Um, it means a lot to me. I mean, I was born and raised in, in Compton, um, in one of those marginalized areas uh, back in the 70s where, you know, when, when all this was just quiet, uh, the stuff that you hear about George Floyd. So while, in, while I figure Regina's absolutely right, it, it influenced it. But a lot of this was going on way before then. It just never was was uh, mentioned. Uh, so I do take uh, social justice as well. Uh, um, 
you know, at, at having my own um, um, ish uh, situations uh, or run-ins and stuff and not being um, not like, for example, some of my friends got pulled over and, and I didn't have a cane and I was a high partial then. And they had uh, the police officers had drew guns on us and they checked us out and they let us go. Guess they thought we were someone else. But I, I'm like, you know, being partially sighted that at the time that uh, that will always that will always stick to me. So uh, but what I love about uh, inclusive diversity of California, of course, uh we do advocacy, but we also, it, it's all about bringing together people. And um, that's the whole point of um, celebrating unity and honor and diversity. So, I, so I've always loved that because uh, the predominantly schools I've gone to have all, have all been of uh, mainly, mainly white people, which I loved because uh a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the people stood up for me when, when I, when I got bullied or was talked about. So I really enjoy that, that working together portion of it and um, being in um, a leadership position. Now um, it's just the opportunity and being, being able to be mentored by some of uh, California's best like Frank Welty, uh, who, who, uh, who was in the CCB's Constitution and Bylaws Committee, and Robert Wint, and um, along with Vita, and, and, and it, it, it makes it uh, not as intimidating. It definitely gives us the feel that we can, we can um, take on this. And so this was a brand new affiliate. I've never started an affiliate. And we just came together in March and we're already 40 members strong. So March of 2021. So we're a year old. <laughs> oh, congratulations. So, so do you guys attend the, your uh, Sacramento uh, geographic uh, chapter yes. uh, meetings? Yes, and then, and then and and then you also have meetings uh, of of the um, IDC um, chapter as well, right? Yes. So um, IDC is considered an affiliate, but we are both members of ACB Capital Chapter. And just so I don't get bored, I'm the president of the ACB Capital Chapter, which is how I started. Um, I became a member of ACB Capital Chapter, and then I was elected president. I guess. Um, in 2019 so i've been there about two years as well and what kinds of activities do you guys do at your chapter meetings how often do you meet and what kinds of things do you do at the idc of meetings yes. so we do have four board meetings that are public we have two business meetings which is uh, rather standard for affiliates in california but aside from those, oh, so one of those is connected to the convention, and then one's about six months later, so semi-annually. But after that, we, we are committed to providing at least one program per quarter that has to do with diversity, inclusion, and equity. And we open this up 
public and our members. Our last one is Windows to the Soul, which we have a public link for. If anyone wants that, they can reach me at president at idcofccb.org. And I'm sure we can put that somewhere. That's where you can also reach IDC if you're interested either in starting an affiliate in your state or in becoming a member if you live in California. And we also... Hold on just a second, Joe. Uh, Because you were sort of breaking up a little bit, why don't you give that uh, email address again, please? Okay, it's president, the word president, at IDC of CCB. Dot O-R-G. Great. Go ahead, Joe. Sorry. Um, yeah. And, um, one of the things that I really like about the inclusive diversity of California is, is uh, the partnerships that we have and that we are currently trying to get more. We've done programs with uh, multicultural uh, of, a, of a, a committee down in for the CCB. Uh, we've also Partnered uh, uh, sorry, yeah, ACB. We've also partnered with the um, with a BPI as well to to just take uh, calls. Like if uh, like if uh, major events happen, and and we'll just uh, just open up and just listen as well. So BPI is uh, blind blind pride pride. Yes. Right. One, of, one of our one of our special interest affiliates. I always try to. Uh, unpack uh, the, the acronyms that we get used to using. <laughs> right, right. Yes, and we've also partnered with Paul K. Longmore Institute in San Francisco for a program, and we're currently currently partnering with Fred Mead, who represents a group of uh, non-denominational pastors that offer trauma and uh, uh, like support for people that want to work through trauma with someone. So it's not only people suffering trauma, which vision loss can be, but also how to talk to the people that are going out like us, recruiting and actively listening to figure out how to help people best from communities we might not belong to. So those are important skills and that's our upcoming workshop in April. So we have a lot going on, (laughs) a lot. Great. And, and that seems to be the key to a vital uh, affiliate, um, having things for our, our members and, uh, you know, our members to, uh, to participate in. Um, uh, at this point, if you guys are kind of done with what you wanted to cover, anything yes. else you want? Okay. Yes. All right, good. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in with uh, the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. Um, we also have been um, working with our members. Um, uh, Jeff uh, Tom is our president, and he took over uh, a few years ago and has been develop- trying to develop programs so that people feel like they're a part of the organization and can contribute to the organization. And basically, uh, we've gone from 25 members to over 130 members. Um, including a uh, an affiliate in California and an affiliate in Oregon. So, um, and one of the projects that we've been working on to involve our members is um, a, a project to identify 
what are area agencies on aging? Uh, what do they, you know, what do they provide? And since we, uh, Larry Johnson, one of our members brought it to our attention. He said he's been working with them, but you know, most of us don't know what they are. And therefore, if we don't know what they are, that probably means that um, we're not getting the services that might be available to us through the area agencies on aging. So what we did was we decided to develop a, a questionnaire that we could bring to the uh, agency um, director or, you know, or their designee and have one of our members approach because there's uh, there are area agencies on aging uh, regionally uh, or countywide or there may be one or two you know uh, multiple ones in a in a large city so um, it's it's a um, an agency that has been de- de- developed to um, disseminate funding for programs um, for a- people who are aging um, uh, from uh, federal funding and state funding and local funding and so we had local members go to their area agency on aging and ask to help fill out this questionnaire. Number one, so we could, um, so we could find out more information about what they are and what programs they have and how, how they've tried to outreach to the blind and low vision community. And then um, in the absence of that, what, uh, what can we do together to help uh, heighten the awareness by the agency of people who are blind and, uh, or low vision and getting older, and uh, how can you know how can they better serve our needs, uh, and also um, you know ha- have us be more included in whatever programs they they are they're um, funding. So um, we have had quite a few uh, questionnaires returned. Um, we're still trying to, uh, wrap up, uh, have getting more, uh, questionnaires in and, and, uh, the other, uh, and, and we're going to kind of close that down in probably by the end of March and, uh, and then have, um, Neva Fairchild take a look at them and, and give us a report on what, uh, what she found from those, from those, uh, surveys, from those questionnaires. But the other side of this is that what we also wanted to provide was an opportunity for our members to get onto the advisory councils of those area agencies on aging so we can have a long-term relationship with the, the agencies and influence their, um, their funding and their outreach to, you know, to the blindness community um, and that kind of thing. So that's what we've been working on. And uh, we've had varying, uh, the, the, as everybody else has said, COVID has had an influence on um, our ability to contact even the, the, uh, the agency. Um, apparently, the turnover of personnel within those agencies is fairly frequent. So it's, uh, it's been a challenge, but uh, we've, we've made some good, good efforts to, uh, to try to. Uh, to uh, uh, contact them and, and create a line of communication with them so that we can, uh, so that we can be more in line for uh, the services they provide. Some of the services they, they provide for those who don't know, uh, for example, Meals on Wheels is funded by the 
triple A's. Um, and there are other, uh, other ways that, um, they provide uh, training for healthcare workers and for family healthcare workers and, and that kind of thing. So there's, there's a lot of things that we can uh, take advantage of if we, uh, if we know about the number one and number two, if they may, uh, they may have to tweak how they deliver their services so that, um, so that they're accessible to us. But uh, if we're there at the table, then we can, um, you know, make sure that those uh, kinds of things are, are uh, higher in their mind as they, um, as they develop these programs. Um, and I think that's, that, that's pretty, did you want to say something, Regina? Yes. I just, there's a key thing that you, you touched upon and that's listening to your members. And that's something that IDC is very committed to listening to our members we are a member-driven organization, just like ACB and CCB. And so in that spirit, we, we do build our programs and our offerings and our board of directors, our plans are built around our membership. And it sounds like that's a common theme that runs through all of our presentations today. You bet. And the, uh, the next project on our list, I think, is to, uh, well, there are two other projects. One is to uh, contact uh, Medicare uh, directors, uh, I'm sorry, Medicaid directors in, uh, in our states to see if we can influence the programs that they provide because there's uh, we, uh, Jeff and um, Anisio Correa and... Um, uh, Clark Rackfall and I had a meeting with some of the um, CMS, the uh, is it commission. I think so. Yeah, commission for uh, Medicare and Medicaid services. Um, uh, people who are involved with Medicaid, and we 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 were trying to heighten their awareness of of blindness issues. And saying, you know, some of the criteria that they use to consider eligibility are not relevant for us, but we have others that are just as, uh, as uh, I'd say, debilitating when someone becomes blind, um, you know, at an older age. Um, you know, we can, we can get out of bed ourselves, we can dress ourselves, you know, we can use the bathroom by ourselves. Those kinds of things are not a problem for us. But uh, being able to get around our house and get around our community and, uh, you, you know, you, uh, use our cell phones or our computers with, uh, you know, with the um, uh, screen software, uh, those kinds of things, they're not used to asking those kinds of questions um, and, and giving those kinds of services. So we're hoping that we're going to heighten awareness of that and we're going to need um, affiliate uh, state and you know with state affiliate uh, help with um, uh, advocating to this uh, all of the, the a lot of the Medicaid programs are really developed at the state level. Um, mm -hmm. the, you know the the national government has the guidelines, but the the real nitty gritty of what programs are are actually put together and, and administered uh, get comes at the state level. So we're going to uh, be uh, 
working with uh, other state affiliates to um, see if we can uh, heighten, uh, again, heighten our awareness uh, by the Medicaid, Medicaid um, administrations in the states um, so that uh, programs are geared more toward uh, being able to help us as well as ever, all of the other aging people who have other concerns. So, Doug, we'll go, can I go back to the AAA project for, for a second? Sure. Because I, I discovered that we have a, a, a unique inroad here in, in, our, in our regional area in, the, in that uh, uh, Peggy got on the APAC, that's the, that's the regional board that, uh, that, they, uh, that they have. So she's on those calls regularly. Uh, and so we have, we have input. In fact, we, we, we made the connection through one of our state sponsors. So, so wow. which which turned out to be uh, a key, and then the other the other inroad into uh, to the APAC and into the whole uh, area a a agency on aging was through our local um, uh, independent living center, uh, of which I serve as as uh, as president of the board. So, oh, so nice. we have two we have two inroads. And I didn't realize it uh, 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 until we started this program. So, so oh, cool, cool. So, so well, that's we're, great. We're, we're, we're pretty tied in. Yeah, and and uh, Kenneth um, Semyon Senior has been uh, working with his area agency on aging for ten years already. So yeah, we do have and and uh, Larry Johnson uh, in San Antonio is is working with his. So. Yeah, you guys have uh, you guys are way ahead uh, in Texas. <laughs> so we need to catch up in, in other areas, you know, in other areas of the country. Um, and one of the other things that we hope to be working on as uh, COVID sort of, uh, you know, as people start getting out, out again, is uh, one of the uh, things that uh, seniors do with their time is go to senior centers. Um, yes. And we hope that uh, and we, we, we think we've heard in the past that. Um, People uh, at the senior centers are not as uh, conversant with uh, with issues and, and with adaptive technology that uh, that we can use uh, as they might be. So, for example, uh, I don't think they even have had blind uh, bingo cards if they're playing bingo. Right. So we we do hope to. Um, uh, that's another project that we have in mind for when things start opening up again. Right, and because um, older adults are overrepresented as people losing their vision and then also people of color there are a lot of indigenous communities black communities and hispanic communities asian communities that are not being reached at a at the level they need to be so at the level that they represent of the population so that's one of the things that inclusive diversity endeavors to do is reach out in these projects, be available, just as Multicultural Affairs Committee at the national level is available to, to work on the same projects that are being worked maybe by another affiliate or by the state or by another chapter and assisting them in putting in that inclusion piece to reach diverse ethnic populations. So. Right. 
Karen, you've been quiet for a while. I don't know if uh, this conversation has uh, has uh, brought anything up that you wanted to add. Um, well, I think everything everybody has said has sounded great. Um, but if we if we back up a little bit to like the local levels and building people up, I think that's something very important that we have to talk about. That some of us that um, are are leaders in our affiliates. <clears throat> And our affiliates. One of the things we really have to focus on is looking at people's strengths and drawing that out of people. Um, you know, there's a lot of times where I've I've seen that people come in with fresh ideas and new ideas, and they're kind of pushed to the side because people don't like change. And change is important in order to to grow any affiliate. And like I said, everything you guys are all talking about is great and wonderful, but you have to have the people to do it. So as presidents, it's our role to, you know, try to bring out positive attributes in each member. You give somebody wings, they can fly. Yeah, and I, I, that, it's a great point because the other thing that I was going to talk about, uh, our, our geographic, the Virginia uh, uh, affiliate of ACB is, is struggling a little bit. Um, we've had the same people sort of doing a lot of the work uh, for quite a long time. and. A couple of people are getting tired and, uh, you know, a couple of people have moved on in one way or another. And um, so we find ourselves with very few people to do the work that we want to get done. And um, so we're trying um, to renovate or, you know, revitalize uh, our affiliate with the same kind of thing that you're exactly you're talking about, Karen, which is, trying to identify people, people's passions. You know, what are you interested in? You know, are you interested in, in making sure that transportation works for you? Uh, are you interested in, uh, you know, are you getting older and want to, you know, want to get involved with uh, the, you know, the advisor council on area agency on aging? Um, you know, what, what, what floats your boat? What, you know, what do you want to, uh, get sidewalks so that people can walk around without tripping over things or without, I don't know, in Virginia, we have a, a law that says, um, you know, you don't have to have sidewalks on both sides of the street. So you'll have situations where there's a sidewalk running down for about a half a block. And then all of a sudden it stops. And then you have to cross over the street to pick up the sidewalk on the other side. Well, and that, and, and I was just on a working group in Virginia where we were talking about crosswalks and how do you identify crosswalks where you can safely cross the street and, and um, you know, people in vehicles can, you know, will see you and be able to you know, yield to your getting across. And well, if we went to the, you know, if the sidewalks went all the way to the intersection, then you wouldn't have to have those mid block um, crosswalks that may, uh, that I can see is, you know, more dangerous than the ones you know, usually at the intersections. So if there are people interested in those kinds of issues uh, or um, uh, pedestrian signals, uh, obviously ACB has done a lot in the area of having uh, accessible pedestrian signals. Uh, uh, currently, uh, Chicago is a, 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 big, a big deal in, in, in our organization because uh, Ray Campbell and his group are, are working on, our, our, uh, in, I think, a lawsuit that uh, they're trying to change um, you know, bring, bring uh, Chicago up to speed on uh, uh, safely crossing their streets. 
Um, uh, there's been uh, initiatives in New York City, I believe, too, right, Karen? Yeah. So, and if if I can, I'll follow up on that a little bit. Sure. Uh, yeah, there was a a huge case in in New York City, which is the southern region of New York. Um, I live on the total opposite end of the state. Lori Sharp was president when that all started, and uh, she did continue on with that after her presidency ended, and I did take over. And one of the things as presidents that we really have to do is relinquish control sometimes. Um, and <laughs> I, I can tell you, I can, I can tell you firsthand that there was an organization that I was part of and I, I stepped off the board and I, I left the organization because I'm going to tell you why, because I felt like I couldn't make a difference. Uh, the people that were more or less controlling the organization felt they could do it better than the next guy. Well, unfortunately, what's going to happen then is those people in control eventually, you know, every, everybody is getting older, myself included. If you don't let somebody try to do something, and if you don't build them up for what they are doing, yes, and if they feel as if they can't make a difference, why would anybody do anything? Maybe, there, you know, maybe there's times somebody can't do something, you know, the way I would like to do it, but it doesn't always mean my way is the best way. Yes. So really, if there's one thing that anybody takes away from this is that as presidents, we do have to know when to step back, when to relinquish that control, but also how to build people up and let them know, hey, you know what? That is a little different than the way I would do it, but that's a great idea. You know, take it and run with it and let's see what's going to happen. I, I can tell you here in New York, um, we, we have a lot of committees. We have a diversity committee that has just really grown. And I took a very back seat to that. Um, I let, you know, those people um, that felt they were, that they had a stronger voice than I did take over and run with it. You know, they put a beautiful diversity committee uh, uh, video together, which I think will be on uh, ACB New York down info soon, um, but other, other subcommittees and let them do it as presidents. It's okay for us to just sit back sometimes and let a committee do what they need to do. And it takes the pressure off of us as presidents feeling like if we don't do it, it's not going to get done. That it's it's such an inaccurate statement that I've heard from so many people around the country. Believe it or not, things will get done even if we take a back seat sometimes. And I'd like to add, Karen, that my goal as a leader in both my chapter and my uh, affiliate inclusive diversity of California is that if I were to disappear, those could run without me. That's important, that I want to facilitate uh, an organization that survives me. <laughs> uh, because cool. that's, that's what makes an organization. I don't want to be the end and beginning of an organization. I want other people and, and them to, if they're doing the same thing, so my committee chairs, the same thing, like, Vita Zavoli, uh, Vita Zavoli, sorry, I'm messing up her name, 
But Vida has talked to me about mentoring another person or another couple of people to take over as treasurer. And it's so important because so many people are afraid of that position, but she's actively looking for people to come behind her already in her first term. So those are the kinds of things that, that make an organization survive. And I agree with you, Karen, just letting, taking a backseat and letting people run with their ideas. Great. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and you get into mentoring, which, you know, we could do another hour on mentoring. <laughs> but right now, what I'd like to do is see if there are questions. So, um, uh, Belinda, do you want to go through your thing about how to raise your hand and, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah, go ahead, Belinda. I'm helping Belinda out. This is Deb. We have a little tech hey, problem, Deb. but she um, she should be able to help you with this piece of it. All right. Well, if I, I, I think I know it well. It's so, I'll, if, I'll, I'll do it. I don't. Okay, go. go ahead. So um, if you do need to raise your hand, um, it's all alt Y on the PC, option Y on the Mac. And there's a large button in the middle of your screen if you want to do that. And um, Chris has been waiting a long time. Go ahead, Chris. Right. You can unmute. Go ahead, Chris. There you go. Okay. Did it unmute me? Yes, it yes. did. Okay. All righty. So my question is, do you worry about your, um, about your um, inclusiveness and diversity people being pushed into their own little part of the world and therefore other chapters, et cetera, don't get as diverse and as, as inclusive within the state? Um, I always worried about that when they put all the blind, you go to a, a meeting, say, somewhere else, and they assume that all the blind people want to be together. I mean, we don't. <laughs> we don't even like each other. <laughs> <laughs> Good you know, question. So I just worry that that can happen. I like that. Eugenia, do you still feel totally included in, in the, in the uh, California or, or Joe? Definitely. Well. Go ahead, Joe. Um, um, I don't really worry too much about that because my thing is, is if you if you if you feel like you want to join, you can. It, but there's no pressure on on that you have to. So uh, that's my answer to that. But also, one of the things that each member of IDC takes very very seriously is going back to their local chapters and bringing that message. We're also going as membership committee is visiting other chapters. I, as president, have been invited to speak to chapters across the state. So our whole thing is outreaching, not only to marginalized communities, but also to the chapters and other committees and other organ like-minded organizations. So that's built into IDC, and the that's why we say celebrating unity. We mean unity across the state of right. blind and low vision individuals in California. But we don't want to have no pressure on those who, who uh, you know, because there are different minds that, that might not even agree with us. That's fine. That's fine. We're all not the same, and that's okay. Great. I think I heard Cache being. Cache is next, yes. 
Hello. Hello. I actually um, didn't have a question, but I do have a comment. I, I want to applaud Karen for her, her response because um, it is very important as any leader, but especially for presidents, to be able to recognize the ability to relinquish um, some of the pressure and allow people to operate in their own purpose and their own gifting. We can't, um, I think it's very unfair to feel like if you want to pursue um, drawing in new members and drawing in allies and drawing in volunteers, and then when they arrive, you don't allow them the space to be able to partner with you. Yeah, I think, um, I, I think that's a mindset that we need to set up or a culture that we need to set up because I, I don't know, I, I, sometimes I feel like um, people joined uh, the ACB affiliate uh, to, you know, to be served as opposed to, you know, as to, uh, as opposed to contributing, you know, I, I talk about, you know, when ACB was born in, in, in 1961, I'll bet you every member had to, you know, had to really work to make this organization viable. Um, and, but now we're, you know, sort of, you know, established and, you know, whatever. And, and people, some people come in and, and say, well, okay, good. What are you going to do for me? And I, that drives me crazy. <laughs> may, may I address it also, that? It, it, also, it also reflects on the same component when you look at diversity, equity, and inclusion that it's not, it has to be everybody aboard. It can't be, um, you know, we keep talking about conversations, conversation, and conversation is good. But for me, when are we going to move from past the point of conversation to now acting and doing something? And Amen. as a leader, <laughs> as a leader in this organization, it can't be, it's up to them. And the conversation is not up to the other folks. It's not up to the other people. It should be about we, you know, exactly. when, when are, what is the plan for us? Amen. And I think that is a problem where we find as as um the, the diverse part of the population that it comes across as it's us against them when we keep hearing family, but it's almost like we're a part of the family that's not recognized and we're not getting the same um support. Thank you. Gotcha. Karen, you wanted to say something quick? I do. Um, first, I want to, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know your name, but the young lady that was just talking, Cache, um, thank you for recognizing um, the importance of what I'm, what I'm trying to get across. Um, and then, Doug, I think it was, was it you that said people join that don't want to be active? Um, I want to address that. Um, in any organization, you're going to have a group of people that join for the socialization. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that, but you're right. There are the other people, the others that I've noticed really want to step up and do something, but they do it when that very specific trigger is, mm -hmm. is hit. So mm -hmm. when, when we find a topic and we talk about it and then our, our chapters talk about it, you never know what is going to trigger that person to say, Hey, you know what? That's something I might be really good at. But what we need to do as presidents then is to give them the platform to step up. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm seeing it. Um, I, I saw it when, when I first came into the organization. Um, and I'm seeing it in, in different um, things I've tried to do around the country where there were things I was, I was personally very interested in and I got shot down and it didn't make me feel very good. And when a person doesn't feel good, what's going to happen? You're going to lose interest. Once you hit that trigger, you got to keep that spark going. Otherwise, it's never going to turn into a flame. So, yeah, it, it just, there are going to be a percentage of people that are only in it for the socialization. But even with those people, you never know what might trigger their interest and then what potentially will lead them down the road of being a leader. Good point. Right. And can I say something? Well, we've got one other person, I think, who has been unmuted. We have two more hands. Yeah. And we've only got a couple minutes, so I think we better move on. So area code 347. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Hi, my name is Yasmin, and I'm from um, the Greater New York Council of the Blind. Hi, Karen. And um, I I just wanted to say I definitely agree with what she um, just said. Um, as the, I am the membership chair of my chapter, and what I've started doing with our, with us is as we get new members, that we have a new member orientation um, with you know the new members who join so they know the different aspects of the chapter because the other organizations that I belong to, they you know, they have something like this, like a welcome, and they, you know, tell you more about it because there's a lot more that you don't see online that's happening in the chapter. And, you know, it's it's been really, um, I, I want to say that it's been really helpful so far. And um, my last point is that when we have a topic like Karen was saying and you know we talk about it and discuss it like what I've been seeing is that we get the members riled up but then there's no follow through on it so we have to be able to as leaders to be able to keep it going because if they want to you know participate and act and you know go out and protest and do all those kind of things then we need to you know keep the momentum going so they you know that way it brings it out of them they can see that yes I can do this and it's not just you know me by myself but it's you know a group of us if we work as a group as a team <laughs> then you know we can get a lot of things accomplished thank you yes thank you I, I just like to recognize Yasmin for all of the hard work she's done because Yasmin was one of those people that used to kind of sit back and was more on the quiet <laughs> side. And now as membership chair for uh, the greater New York district, I have to tell you guys how this works. Greater New York had about 50 members currently Yasmin, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they're up to 90 now. So this is the difference that it can make when you're willing to give people wings and let them fly. Perfect. Yeah, and we I have to wrap on, up, Doug. Yes, we do. So uh, thank you, uh, Karen. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Regina. Thank you, um, Joe. And thank you, audience, for making this a pretty, pretty cool seminar. Uh, take care and have a good rest of the uh, leadership conference. Hello, everybody. Welcome. I'm very excited to uh, host our audio description panel on what's new in audio description. And we're going to start off with Mark Turret first, from, who's the vice president of 
captioning and audio description for Paramount Global, then I will speak. I'm the co-chair of the audio description project, and I'll give you some talk about some ways to access the audio description. And then Dr. Joel Snyder, who is the founder and senior consultant for the audio description project, will talk about what the audio description project has been up to. So this is very exciting. It is my pleasure to introduce Mark Torres, who I had the pleasure of working with more than 20 years ago when I was at WGBH's Media Access Group, and he represented CBS, he still does, as part of the Paramount Global family. And the one thing I remember about Mark there is originally when the first audio description mandate was put in place, it got, the court took it away back in 2001, and Mark and CBS remained committed in to maintaining the audio description when not all of the other networks did so. So Mark has had a long, serious commitment. He has been involved in the world of audio description, captioning, accessibility for television broadcast for more than 40 years. He started out with IBM, where he was an intern and helped produced the very first primetime special ever to be captioned for the deaf and hard of hearing community, then went on to Showtime, and then went on to ABC, and then has been at CBS for decades, where he's been involved in audio description, which is what we will be talking about today. And now he oversees the audio description for the whole Paramount Global family, which includes, you know, uh, Paramount Plus, CBS, and all the other Viacom Project. So it's my pleasure. And he got some very, very exciting news to announce, which is why we asked him to join us on the panel today. So it's my pleasure to introduce Mark Torres. Thank you, Carl. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Mark Torres, Vice President, Captioning and Audio Description and Access Services for Paramount Globe, formerly Viacom CBS, which includes the CBS Television Network. I'm very honored to be here with all of you today, representing our company where I have spent almost 26 years of my 40-plus year career so far in the entertainment industry. At CBS, we strive to deliver high-quality audio description and closed captioning to our consumers who rely upon accessibility. I'm here today to tell you where we have been, how we do it, and where we are going with audio description at the CBS TV network. But before I do, I wanted to let you know that I'm also one of the luckiest people in the entertainment industry to do this job that I do and love doing with my unique 40 plus year view on the evolution of accessibility in television. As Carl mentioned, my first exposure to accessibility was unexpected, but was the summer of 1979 when I was a 21 year old executive intern at IBM World Headquarters in the corporate promotion and production department. It was there that I worked on an IBM primetime special for ABC called Barishnikov on Broadway which became the first television special ever to air with closed captioning when captioning debuted on the networks 42 years ago this month, the week of March 16th, 1980, which is coming up this week, actually. But my real beginning of what would become a career dedicated in service to consumers who rely upon accessibility began in 1981 at the Legacy Viacom's new Showtime pay cable network, where I was hired as employee number 77. Viacom's nascent Showtime took a voluntary lead in the pay cable industry when John Biner's Bazaar, which is the program where the late actor Bob Einstein, actually the actor Albert Brooks's brother, as the beloved character of Super Dave Osborne, you may recall. This show became the first ever captioned cable comedy series, and we just kept growing it from there. 
1988, I joined ABC as the manager of closed captioning. And in my time there, we voluntarily grew captioning from 20 hours per week to almost 100 hours per week by the time I left in 1996. Then in 1996, from the day I arrived at the legacy CBS, later the former Viacom CBS, and now Paramount Global, almost 26 years ago, I was part of a senior team that took a very forward-looking view and approach towards voluntary growth and accessibility, which we knew was the right thing to do. This included, at the time, adding captioning to every regional CBS sports broadcast, such as NCAA basketball and the NFL. This unwavering support I received when I arrived at CBS from the highest levels of the company down to the hardworking folks who tirelessly get these shows in the air was and remains unequaled, and that continues today at the new Paramount Global. So when audio description came onto our radar around the year 2000, and I first met Joel Snyder, actually, I'll be this here today, there was no hesitation of legacy CBS. We were all in. When the FCC's first regulations for audio description took effect, also almost 20 years ago to this day, April 1st, 2002, we launched audio description on CBS that our most popular primetime shows of the day, such as CSI and NCIS, along with a three-hour Saturday morning educational and informational block, we call EI, of programs primarily intended for children. We also committed at the outset to providing audio description for all theatrical and made-for-TV movies and selected specials, all above and beyond what the FCC required at the time. So when the FCC's first regulation was struck down by the U.S. Court of Appeals in October 2002, just six months after they took effect, there was no running for the door at CBS. And in fact, we doubled down. We committed to maintain and continue to grow more suddenly the former FCC mandated 50 hours of audio description per calendar quarter. We continued to voluntarily meet and beat those 50 hours per calendar quarter for the next 10 years until the FCC's audio description regulations were reinstated in 2012 to where the requirement is now 87.5 hours per calendar quarter and which we've also continuously met and beat since 2002. So I'm very proud of the number of hours and programs that CBS has audio described over these first 20 years. Year after year, we've consistently delivered by an average of 30 to 50% above the FCC's mandates for audio description. Okay, so let's talk about today here. I've been checking the pulse of this unique access service industry for decades, and I can tell you that the vibe, if you will, on audio description is as exciting right now as when casting became mainstream. More and more people that I speak with today and who do not rely upon accessibility now know what audio description is. And I believe that audio description's breakthrough moment to the mainstream is right now. You may wonder how we create audio description. So TV distribution is similar to water or power distribution, simplistically, stating, simplistically speaking. It comes to you from an upstream source like water and power and is delivered to your home. But unlike water and power, television consumers do not turn on the faucet or the switch and it just flows. It involves many very complex, different testable processes from the program production, the post-production, editing, audio, visual effects, et cetera, and then onto the delivery of CBS where the completed audio description and captioning files are added to the shows in preparation for network broadcast to our affiliates and own stations. The affiliates, CBS affiliates, along with our 15 CBS-owned and operated stations like WCBS New York and KCBS Los Angeles, they are our local partners. The CBS television network, if you don't know uh, that model, is in effect the wholesaler, and each station is a retailer. 
And then in between us both are the multi-channel video program distributors, or MVPDs. It's a mouthful. But they are the cable and fiber satellite distributors deliver the signal to your home, like Fios or Comcast. So if everything's working right, you hear perfect audio description, and as is always our intention. But technical issues sometimes do occur with all, all aspects of content delivery. And in those rare cases where audio description is impacted, our engineering teams work rapidly to remediate them. As in any business that buys outside services or goods, there's always a confluence of price and quality. At CBS, quality for audio description and closed captioning takes the highest precedence, followed by price as a distant second. The preparation and production of our high quality audio description begins ideally about four days before of air. It starts with our access service providers receiving a digital asset file, which in the old days was a videotape, of the completed or nearly completed program. Over the next two days, the access services vendors highly dedicated staff write the audio description, edit it, record, and produce it. Delivery to CBS then usually occurs about one or two days before air. Then with high security content, Survivor and the Amazing Race, they require high security audio description and closed captioning protocols. Any public leaks about such content in advance of air can have very serious impacts on our company and our partners. So at the behest, uh, so at our behest, in early 2020, one of our primary access services vendors built and opened a special high security access services authoring bunker, if you will, for this purpose. And it's allowed us to add audio descriptions to these shows where production and delivery constraints allow. These shows are very, very uh, tightly held, you know, and they're, they're really top secret to everybody until the end. So if anything leaked out of uh, you know, a confidential nature, you know, we, 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 have, we have the highest confidence in everybody, but as you've probably heard in the past, there have been content security leaks over the years. With some companies, we've not had them and we don't want them. So we take those, uh, those steps to avoid that. Once the audio description files delivered to CBS, our team in Los Angeles builds a show to include audio description and captioning. The completed show is then digitally pushed or sent from CBS Los Angeles to the CBS Broadcast Center in New York, where it's ingested into our digital servers and then played to air with audio description and closed captioning at time of air, where it goes all the way downstream to you, our consumers rely upon accessibility. From the outset of audio description in CBS in April 2002, we set a policy that our commitment to audio description for a particular series would be for the entire life cycle of the show. We would never go backwards with audio description, only forward, and we have always kept that promise. This is why we choose only shows for CBS Network audio description that have consistent deliveries. The last thing we want to do is add a show that causes consumer confusion if we're to find ourselves only be able to provide inconsistent audio description from week to week. Where, for example, if we could get it one week but not on the air the next week. For example, our three excellent, very popular, high, popular and highly rated FBI shows have extremely tight production schedules. And while we are unable to provide audio description on the CBS network at this time for FBI, FBI Most Wanted, and FBI International, we make sure that all three shows have audio description on our very popular and successful Paramount Plus Premium service. So as in the case of the FBI's, we always try to find a way to cement, make this work, and streaming has been an extremely helpful avenue uh, to us in this quest. So the top quality and results of the audio description you hear on CBS are the result of many, many dedicated individuals, both inside and outside of Paramount Global, who work tirelessly with great diligence to serve our consumers and require accessibility. 
All right, Carl. So this brings me to the most exciting part of what I'm here to tell you all today. As many of you may already know, our Paramount Plus streaming service has been voluntarily adding audio description where it's not required in streaming to the original audio con original content, including movies, along with every CBS network show that already has audio description. Then at the beginning of 2021-22 CBS network season last fall, Paramount Plus took the lead by also adding audio description to almost every pre-recorded scripted CBS primetime program that did not already have audio description. Well, I'm very pleased to let you all know today, and you're the first to hear it, that effective immediately, the CBS television network has committed to adding audio description to almost all of our pre-recorded scripted primetime shows and those pre-recorded reality reward shows for deliveries allowed such as Survivor, which we added last week, and The Amazing Reese. And this coming week, we're adding Come Dance With Me, a dance reality show. So along with our previous commitment, this also adds to our commitment for describing as many movies as special as possible. This will now voluntarily bring our average weekly totals of audio description on CBS to about 18 hours in prime time. Pardon one second, my earbud fell out. <laughs> This will voluntarily bring our average weekly totals of audio scripts on CBS to about 18 hours in prime time, along with a continued three hours in the educational informative block for an average of about 21 hours per week of description. On average, CBS will now deliver to our consumers two to two and a half times the amount of the FCC's currently mandated audio description. CBS will continue to update the public as we add more and new shows like Come Dance This Week with audio description including by way of our current audio described program listing page, which you can find at cbs.com forward slash video hyphen description forward slash. Basically, if you go to the bottom of the CBS uh, homepage, you'll find a link for audio description or it's still listed as video description when you change it, but it's listed there at the bottom of the page. So you can find it right at the bottom of cbs.com. This huge growth in our audio description schedule I've just announced here today was finalized so quickly that our web team couldn't perform the required maintenance on our descriptions listing page I've talked about here in time for this announcement. But we expect that the listings page will be updated to current within the next 30 days. But until then, rest assured, you can now tune to almost any scripted primetime program in CBS and you will hear audio description. In closing, I want to tell all of you I couldn't be prouder of what our teams will accomplish and deliver to our consumers in these first 20 years of audio description on CBS and for the great things that lie ahead for our audio description consumers. Thank you. That's that's all I have to deliver. That's a lot. That's great. So I'm looking forward to watching a lot more CBS because I'm a cord cutter and I, I haven't watched a lot of uh, cable or broadcast lately, but now CBS has given me a reason to do so. So I'm very excited about that. So most nights of the week, I'll be able to turn on programming, if I understand you correctly, between the hours of 8 of 11 and almost, uh, with most content, find something that's audio described as long as it's pre-scripted and pre-programmed. That would be correct. We, uh, I say we're adding Come Dance Me this week. The FBI's remain uh, a deliverable uh, problem, which is, you know, it's a creative show and they, they, they do what they have to do. But again, that's on Paramount Plus. But yeah, it's a lot to uh, impart. Um, but yeah, it's... it's uh, been a very, very, very uh, great 20 years for us. And we're looking forward to oh, that's more, very, more. And I, Mark, I hope that you guys serve as a leader so that the other eight entities under the CVAA, and I'll explain that in a minute, 
uh, uh, follow you and, and, and follow your commitment. So that'll be great. It, I'm assuming that's what you meant, that uh, when you said earlier, you feel like we're on the cuff of audio description expanded, that you see more and more coming along. I, I really do, Carl. You know, um, I, I equate it, and if uh, folks know the early Saturday Night Live sketch during Weekend Update with Chevy Chase and uh, the great Garrett Morris, and uh, it probably wouldn't be uh, tasteful today to show this clip, although maybe they still do, but they did what they called news to the deaf and hard of hearing, I think it was. Right. And basically, Chevy Chase was speaking the news, and Garrett Morris was shouted out, you know, in a bubble. And people literally asked me, for the first 20 years of captioning, is there somebody in a bubble shouting or speaking? And so, you know, when captioning became uh, regulated and built in TVs, it became mainstream. And now everyone knows captioning. And I really feel the description is there right now. I get that same response now, talking to people about it. They know that it's there. People I find are using it who are not, uh, you know, visually impaired or blind just because it's there to help them. And so uh, we know there's ancillary uses to all these uh, accessibility services. And I think the description really has taken that that place in the forefront now. Mark, and, and- this is Kim Charlson. And I want to apologize for not being here to give you your your due introduction um, today, um, your bio background, but I, I want our listeners to understand that certainly your your leadership in the area of audio description in in broadcast television is really exemplary. And you know, thank you for for what you've done, for the trail you've blazed, and for the leadership that you've demonstrated today to us. Um, with the increase in coverage of audio description for CBS Prime Time, I think it's phenomenal, and congratulations. Well, th- thank you, Kim. It really yeah. takes a village. You know, I- I'm the face of it, but there's so many, so many people inside and outside of the company who get this done for us, and many unsung heroes. So, I Absolutely. thank you on behalf of the entire team inside and outside of Paramount Global. Okay, great. Well, Mark, stick around because we're going to try to leave a few minutes for questions at the end. If you don't mind sticking around for the full hour. Not at all. Okay, great. So I'm going to be quick. I wanted to allow Mark to talk, and because I think he probably the uh, many of you hear from Joel and I on a regular basis, and I wanted to make sure everybody heard from Mark because that's quite exciting. Um, and if you're a Star Trek fan, you got to check out Paramount uh, Plus because that you got Picard, you got Discovery, you got Lower Deck. You got Star Trek Prodigy. I'm a Star Trek fan. And and I'm hoping maybe someday we'll see some of the older legacy series. Not that I'm putting in a plug, but I'm just hoping. Uh, audio described. So moving on. Mark described a little bit of how the landscape is. And while I, what I'm going to talk about is not necessarily new, but I think audio description is getting complex and that there's a number of ways we can access it. And I just want to give people some ideas on how they can access it. Many of you on this call will know that, but I think it'll be new to some of you also. So what is the simplest way? We're going to go from the simplest way to the more involved ways on how to access audio description. The simplest way you can get it is thanks to the CVAA, the 21st Century Video Communications and Accessibility Act, is that the four broadcast channels are required to carry the 87 and a half hours, which Mark mentioned, which are CBS, NBC, ABC, and Fox. If you just have a TV with no cable and nothing else, and, and it's even a, a, a what they call a dumb TV today, and all of the all a dumb TV means is that it does not have the ability to connect to the internet without 
uh, peripheral connected to it, it, and you have it simply hooked up to a, an antenna or a digital antenna, you can get those four channels without paying extra for free. And as long as you activate your SAP button, you can access the four channels with 87 and a half hours of audio description. So I just wanted people to be aware that they can even access it that way. And if you want to know what's on the four broadcasts, I'm going to put in the plug for the Audio Description Project website. Both Fred Brock and Timothy Wynn and others do an excellent job of keeping our list up to date. You can view it by network. You can view it by day. You can get a full list on what's on the four broadcast network. Okay? Next, if you do have cable, thanks to the CVAA, the four broadcast networks and the five top-rated cable networks, which I believe, and I'm hoping I'm right because I'm doing this from memory, HGTV, History, The Learning Channel, Hallmark, and TBS, I believe, are the five channels. You can act that they're required to also do 87 and a half hours per quarter. And many of the cable... Thanks again to the CVA. Many of the cable franchises, such as Comcast and and uh, let's see, um, the other. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting, blanking out on the other larger cable companies. They Spectre, are required. AT and T. Some of those. Thank you. They yeah. are required by law to give you an accessible cable box, which has talking menus and text to speech, so you can not only. Um, activate the second audio program, the SAP channel, but you can find out what's on TV. And they're supposed to provide you those cable boxes at no extra charge. You just need to talk to someone. For example, Comcast has a accessibility disability hotline. So you just need to talk to someone who knows what they're talking about. So that, if you have cable, you'll have access to at least nine channels. With, and I say at least because there's a couple of extra channels that are sometimes doing it, even though they're not required. And again, you can check out the audio description website for a full listing of all the networks and channels. And I'm sorry I'm going so fast, guys, but I just want to make sure I get to them so we can allow Joel to talk and then open it up to questions. Next, they are the streaming services. And this is where the most audio description is currently happening. You heard Mark mention Paramount Plus. And this is, um, there are actually a total of eight streaming services, potentially nine if you count one of the others, which I will mention. Apple TV Plus, um, Apple TV, which is iTunes, you can rent or purchase in that case. Uh, that's video on demand. Disney, Hulu, uh, Netflix, Prime Video, Peacock, and Paramount Plus. And they might HBO even Max. be... What was that? HBO Max. HBO Max. I knew I forgot one. Thank you. <laughs> and there might even be more to follow soon uh, from what I'm hearing. And they all have different types of catalogs. For instance, Paramount has the Star, Star Trek franchise, CSI, HBO has a lot of the uh, DC Universe. Um, Disney has a lot of the Disney classics and has even gone back and described their back catalog all the way back to 
Steamboat Willie, which is the first cartoon that ever introduced uh, Mickey Mouse in the sound cartoon and Snow White. And so a lot of the classics that many of us didn't get to see as young children because we were visually impaired. We can now they have the Star Wars franchise and the Pixar. Um, uh, they all have their strength and it depends what you watch. And they all have a, a monetary fee. There are several ways to watch these streaming services. And I will go over each, and by the way, they have several hundred thousands of hours. I mean, um, Apple, for instance, they don't have a large catalog, but the unique thing about Apple is they audio describe every single show in nine languages. Every single one of their products is in nine different languages with audio description. And they also do everything in Dolby Atmos, which is, um, to my knowledge, they're the only streaming service that does that as of now, um, and 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 things like that. Netflix even has a white paper on the quality of the audio description, and they're committed to doing things such as naming the describer and the voice talent and things like that in their product. So they all offer good audio description and do different things. So you'll have to do some um, investigating. And again, you can look at what's on each one of these streaming services, and it sounds like I'm plugging it, but I am because Kim and I are the co-chairs of the Audio Description Project. At the Audio Description website, each service has a unique page that you can see what titles are on there, and along with what's in the uh, movie theaters. We're not going to talk much about that today, but there are also, now that the movie theaters are opening up with the pandemic starting to come to an end, you can go to the movie theaters and see audio description by requesting a headset. So the, the many ways to watch streaming, and I'm going to go from simpler to um, more involved again, is you can get a smart television. Thanks again to the CVAA, the 21st Century Video Accessibility Act. And it's one of my, I think it's the most revolutionary law since the um, ADA in terms of what it does for the deaf and hardy hearing community, the deaf blind community, the blind community, um, because it, it provides communication access for the uh, and equipment for the deaf blind. It provides quality captioning for the deaf relay services. So the CVA is a very, the CVAA is a very comprehensive act. And as many of you know, will be one of our legislative imperatives as we go to um, meet with our legislators in the next couple of days, asking them to um, re-up the a new version of the CVA to change with the change in times and technology. So um, take a look at that when Clark talks to Clark and others talk about it in the next couple of days. One, smart televisions. There are thanks to the CVAA, the smart televisions now have screen reading capability, and you can access the menu, and you can access the internet. I, for instance, have an LG TV set, and I access all the streaming services I just mentioned fully without any assistance with the use of a screen reader, and I'm able to turn off audio description for all of those. And so, and there are many brands that do this, not just LG. LG, Samsung, Toshiba, Toshiba, Insignia, Panasonic. Um, as of 2016, 
the TV sets are all supposed to be accessible to blind, and that's one way. I think some are slightly more accessible than others, so you may want to, but like any of the Fire TV brands, which is Insignia, Toshiba, Toshiba, use the Amazon Fire TV, uh, that's fairly accessible. LG is very accessible. Um, Samsung is another very accessible brand. So that's one way to access all the programming. Since I bought my LG TV six months ago, I have never used a streaming player to connect to the TV, which I'll get to in a minute. So another way to access these streaming services is over the internet through a browser, whether it be Safari, Firefox, Chrome, Microsoft Edge. All these streaming services have websites that you log into because most of them are paid subscriptions or, or that or that nature. And you can log in and watch them over your browser on a um, on a computer, on a smart device, that sort of thing. So that's another way to access these. Um, and the audio description project is working with the various streaming services to try to get their pages more accessible so that we can access it. Another way is with a streaming device, which you attach to your TV through a um, HDMI port. And an example would be a Fire Stick, an Apple TV, a Chromecast, a Roku. Again, thanks to the CVAA, they all have to be made accessible. Now, I will tell you that some are more accessible than others. So the two I would look at if I were going to go to streaming player route would be either the the Fire, any of the Amazon Fire product, the Fire Stick, the Fire Player, or Apple TV. Those are the two that are most accessible. Um, the, the, the Chromecast by Google and the Roku, while they're accessible, they need a little more work. And in the opinion of, of Carl, not, not an opinion of ACB or anybody, but I just, but there are those who do it. And so streaming devices are another way. And lastly, we all carry these devices in our pocket or our tablets, such as smartphones, that can then that can access. Most of these services all have apps and are fairly accessible, um, where you can download the app, log in, and then listen to, you know, where I have uh, very little remaining vision. I often am listening to a show while walking my dog. Um, uh, in the neighborhood, I'm, I'm listening to Star Trek Discovery while walking the dog or, or um, you know, a show on Netflix. So, so that's another way to do it through your smart smartphone or smart device. So those are the ways that we can access streaming services. And there are also DVDs um, where you can um, get a full list of the DVDs that are available. And many of your talking book libraries across the country for the blind and visually impaired have these DVDs. And there also is movie theater, uh, films in the movie theater. Most of the main titles are audio described nowadays. Uh, I would say about 90%. Uh, occasionally a smaller movie is not, but the majority of titles are audio described. And by law, a different law other than the CVA, by the Department of Justice guidelines, all digital theaters are required to have equipment that can provide captioning and audio description. And um, they are the only exemption right now are theaters that are still phone analog, and there's probably a handful in the country. 
and drive-in movie theaters. They also don't have to do it at this point in time. Although I suspect they're doing digital too, so I'm hoping that changes someday. But movie theaters are required to have the equipment to play. I will say, if you do go to a movie theater, though, because not uh, a large number of blind people go to the movies, they're not always trained on how to do it. It's best to call the theater ahead of time and let them know you're coming so they can prepare and be ready for you when you come in. Um, we don't shouldn't have to do that, but it, I find that I have a higher success rate when we do that. So those are just the multiple ways to access the audio description. As Mark said, I think we're on the cusp of things. I see many things coming in the future. I think more of the streaming services they've already started are going to start to do audio description, just like Apple and multiple languages. I think hopefully some of the live streaming services uh, services such as Sling TV and Fubo TV and, and um, maybe even Paramount Plus, Mark, will eventually have the ability to air the shows um, that are live with audio description where you can select a language. And I think the, the, we're in for some very exciting times. I want to give the opportunity, uh, thank everybody for the opportunity to speak. And I want to give, uh, have Kim introduce Joel Snyder. Right. Thanks, Carl. That was a lot of great. I know. Issues. And I went fast. It was, it was good. You talk fast, but you packed it in there. So thank you. And I'm sure there'll be questions um, as we come to the end. But I'm happy to recognize to give an update on the audio description project. Um, Joel Snyder, senior consultant and founder of the audio description project, now moving into its 12th year with ACB. So, Joel, thank you. Thank you, Kim. Good, good afternoon, and Carl, and uh, good afternoon to everyone. I want to add my congratulations to my my friend and colleague Mark Duritz from CBS. He has been a leader in this area, as you already have heard, and it is so great that CBS is one once again taking the lead with audio description. And um, speaking of the audio description project, Kim and Carl are the co-chairs of our audio description project and they have run it marvelously with a, a, a list of subcommittees uh, oh golly six or seven anyway it's been great the purpose of our audio description project is to boost levels of description activity and disseminate information on that work throughout the nation it, its major goal is to sponsor a broad range of activities designed to build awareness of description in the general public as well as its principal users. Most of the folks who are listening right now, people who are blind or have low vision. Our work throughout 2021 uh, and on into 2022 has been challenging in a positive way uh, in spite of and, and maybe because of the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, last year, ACB increased its commitment to the vitality of the project by creating a staff position responsible for its coordination and administration. The charming and talented JoLynn Bailey-Page, I'm sure she's listening. Uh, I continue on with the ADP as its founder and senior consultant, and I focus principally on special projects, including our, our really tremendously successful audio description training programs. Indeed, uh, one week from tomorrow, we begin our 19th Audio Description Institute, our third virtual institute. We have 43 registrants from 19 states 
and two other countries, Italian, Italian, Italy and Spain. Uh, we have seven faculty, including three people who are blind, and of course the fantastic uh, Deb Cook-Lewis as our Zoom administrator. The Institute is five uh, half days, and uh, on our first two days, primarily, we'll be joined by various members of our steering committee and its subcommittees uh, who will audit the proceedings. They're, they are almost all uh, are people who are blind, and I'll tell you, they're all fierce advocates uh, for more and better audio description. They're eager to learn more, even more, about the fundamentals of audio description. Um, in the performing arts, uh, even as so many performance spaces have been closed, we have continued to work on adding to our listings of performing arts space uh, audio description offerings. Sheila uh, uh, Young chairs our, our subcommittee there. And, you know, you can help us, actually. Let us know about the performing arts spaces in your states that offer audio description. We're working on the possibility of audio description scripts for professional touring productions and an initiative in New York City to encourage description at every performance of productions providing uh, provided by live by well provided live I should say by well-trained describers the describers are almost always alive uh, in museums and and that's uh, Sheila runs that performing arts museums uh, parks committee most recently with museums we sponsored and produced an audio described tour of the Smithsonian institutions insect zoo at the national museum of natural history we're working on improvements at the 9-11 memorial and museum we're advising the motion picture academy of performing arts and sciences regarding description for their new museum in los angeles uh, and here again we continue to collect information on, on audio description tours available at museums nationwide please let us know what's going on in your state and we continue to work closely with the national park service advising uh, collaborating with them on improving accessibility including description of brochures and exhibits other features at visitor centers at the at national park service sites they've been a fantastic government agency uh, uh, leading the way in uh, description our media sub committee is run by the, the one and only Carl Richardson. We've been especially active there. We, we have an, uh, an ACB resolution that we worked with that was passed that discourages the use of text-to-speech for audio description in film. So we're working with uh, folks like Amazon.com to encourage them to eliminate or limit its use We've been active members of the FCC's Disability Advisory Committee. We continue to advocate for more and better description on the various streaming services that Carl told you about. And of course, our website is the go-to place for information about media description, but also for information on all things that have to do with audio description, run by the capable Fred Brack. Write this down. Remember this. I want you all to visit our website at least once later today. HTTPS colon slash slash ADP dot ACB dot org. Visit it once a week at least. Our baby contest, Benefits of Audio Description in Education, is sponsored in collaboration with the uh, marvelous Described and Captioned Media program. That that uh, our, our baby contest is thriving. We give awards to kids who write reviews of described media. Uh, and speaking of our awards, our, our audio description awards uh, effort recognizes the very finest in audio description activity in the US and around the world. And, and by the way, the Beatty contest, going back to that, uh, we have actually uh, encouraged a spinoff based in Australia. 
is serving the entire Australasia region. Uh, and we're, we're consulting with the WBU, the World Blind Union's new CEO, Mark Workman, on how we might spread the impact of that baby contest uh, worldwide. Uh, let's see, both last year and this year, we coordinated a series of excellent workshops uh, on all aspects of audio description at, uh, at, at our audio description project conference, which is really a conference within a conference, the ACB conference and convention. So please plan on joining us in Omaha or online in July. Uh, we'll have some great sessions there. Uh, and during the conference, tune in to our Audio Describe Tours channel, recordings of a wide range of Audio Describe Tours of museums and National Park Service sites from around the nation. We're working right now to add tours to that channel. What else? Boy, last December, this was fun. We sponsored a special program. Actually, the last two Christmases on ACB Radio, we sponsored a Christmas Christmas-themed media, uh, uh, a, sex, uh, a whole hour of Christmas-themed media that included audio description and included a visit from Santa Claus himself. Ho, 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 ho. How about that? Anyway, uh, we've made important strides, uh, by the way, at uh, fostering greater use of description in federal government agencies. Pat uh, Sheehan leads our 508 subcommittee. And also under the capable uh, leadership of our own Tony Stevens, we sponsored our first ever AD Gala last November as a fundraiser for the ADP. And we honored media producers for their commitment to including audio description in their broadcast. It really was a tremendous success. We did it virtually. We'll do it virtually again this year. And then maybe in 2023, we'll be in some grand theater somewhere. Um, and, and this is in addition to the annual Audio Description Award, Project Awards, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, they recognize the audio description, audio described programs themselves, the audio description producers uh, throughout this country and abroad. Uh, I continue to speak virtually, uh, at least this last year and, and the year before, at ACB affiliate conventions and conferences uh, all around the world to spread the good word uh, about audio description and the audio description project. Uh, and by the way, in a, in a collaboration with the World Blind Union, we just, just recently, just about a month ago, released the Spanish version of my book uh, published by the American Council of the Blind, the Visual Made Verbal, a comprehensive training manual and guide to the history and applications of audio description. It's available now in print in five languages. Uh, Chinese and Italian editions are in the works. The Chinese edition should be out in about two months. It's available in Bard uh, and Bookshare as an audio book or in Braille from the Library of Congress. So if you want a, a, a deep read on audio description, uh, take a look at that book. Or of course, it's a great soporific. If you're having trouble getting to sleep at night, you know, just plug that in and you're pulling right out. I've heard it's a great doorstop as well. Anyway, that's uh, the book. And with that, I look forward to much more activity promoting audio description and uh, the ACB's audio description project throughout 2022 and in 2023. Thanks much, and I look forward to any questions you may have. Thanks, Kim. Uh, before we before we move on, I just want to add there's one more committee. Oh, good. Subcommittee, the Section 508 committee. Oh, I did mention that, Pat. Yes, Pat. Oh, Sheehan. you did mention I Pat. Did. I'm sorry. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> okay, got it. My apologies. Not at all. Great.
thank you, Joel, for that um, nice overview of um, what the audio description project committees are working on. And there's a lot going on, as you can tell. Um, I just want to give a plug um, in addition to what Joel said about the um, AD Awards Gala. Um, if you didn't get a chance, and I hope you all did, but if not, um, visit the website adawardsgala.org and you'll have you can view um, the November 2021 Gala Awards ceremony, which was wonderful. And again, recognized um, a lot of industry leaders for their role and their commitment to audio description. And we will be having the second AD Awards Gala um, in November. Um, the date soon will be announced. A save the date announcement will be coming. And we were getting started with all the planning and activities surrounding that virtual event, as Joel mentioned. So we appreciate everybody's um, generosity. We had a lot of individual donors to support the AD Awards Gala. Um, we had corporate support. We had industry support. Um, so it was really a very big, successful event and the first of its kind for ACB. So um, it was really well done. And if you saw the highlights of ACB video that was aired yesterday, we even got a nice, nice plug for audio description from Jason Momoa. So who can't be happy about that, you know? So um, the the opportunity, um, everybody was so good that it did leave some time for some questions. So I'm hoping that um, our facilitator can um, can see if there's any raised hands of folks who would like to ask a question. And if not, and we, we don't have time, and we certainly have a lot to talk about, but we want to give you an opportunity to ask some questions. If we don't get to everybody's question, try to send an email um, to questions at acb.org. If we don't get to it now, we will follow up with you absolutely via email. So um, do we have any questions at this time? We do have some raised hands, but if I may very quickly, I'd like to run over the commands for raising hands and unmuting. Thank you. All right. Uh, if you are on a PC and you'd like to raise your hand, you will do that with Alt-Y. Uh, on a Mac, you'll press Option-Y. If you're on your smart device, the raised hand button is going to be at the bottom of your screen in the very center. And if you were on a telephone, you will raise your hand with star nine to unmute or to mute. Uh, once I allow you to talk, if you're on a PC, you can unmute with alt A. If you're on a Mac, it's command shift A. If you're on your smart device, the mute unmute button is a toggle and located in the lower left hand corner of your screen. And if you're on a telephone, you will mute or unmute with star six. And our first raised hand is someone with uh, telephone 609 ending in 682. You may, yeah, there you are. Hi. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, yes. thank you. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Hi, this is Wanda Woolford from New Jersey. And I have a question for, um, for Mark from Paramount. So Mark, 
I am a Paramount Plus subscriber. Um, I have loved CBS content for many, many years. And thanks to audio description, it's kind of enhanced my experience with all the CBS um, primetime shows. So I have two quick questions for you. Number one being, what I struggle with is um, keeping the audio description enabled through all my devices. So I have cut the cord. And so I use my Paramount Plus for um, most of my primetime viewing. And what I notice is that between my PC, my phone, and my television, um, the audio description, I have to constantly um, turn it on um, when I'm watching Paramount Plus. That's the first question. Second question is um, my favorite show on CBS of all time, believe it or not, is Big Bang Theory, which is no longer, obviously, it's off the air. However, because I cut the cord, I don't have it available to me in syndication. So what I noticed is that it is no longer um, part of the Paramount Plus programming. I, I don't see it anywhere, so am I missing it? So um, thanks, Mark, so much. And guys, this was a great presentation. It is available on HBO Mac with audio description, however. Thank you, Carl. I didn't know that. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. I'm going to check further, but I appreciate that. And uh, the struggle with the devices is what we call persistence. That's when we would expect uh, the settings to maintain themselves. And so do you find persistence when you go back in the same device, or is it when changing devices, do you no longer have persistence? Changing devices. Okay. Well, I'm not the engineer, um, although I play one on TV to some degree, but <laughs> I will talk to our folks in the development team. Our product team stays very closely attuned to our consumer needs and concerns, and I'll bring this to their attention, and hopefully we can find Thank a solution. That would Thank be you. Thanks for taking Thank you, Wanda. That Thank was you. a really terrific question. Thanks, Wanda. So, and and it's my privilege, really. Just my privilege to serve all of you. I mean, I'm really very lucky to have the job that I do. So thank you for all of your support. Thank you for what you do. You're very welcome. Okay, right. our, our next raised hand is Jewel. Hi, um, I am also a cord cutter. I have not watched cable in over a decade. Um, and my question is to anybody who might know the information. Um, Netflix was mentioned as well as Disney, HBO Max, Paramount Prime. And I believe you kind of went over Amazon Prime a little bit because you were mentioning less text-to-speech descriptions. Um, what is the update on getting more description to other programs such as Hulu and more on Amazon Prime and such um, and other programs as well? Um, what is the information that's out there right now and th where that stands? So this is Carl, I'll jump in real quick. Um, so with streaming services, there is no mandate. And so all the streaming services are at this time doing it on a voluntary basis. We do hope with the new version of the CVA that the file will always follow the show. And I don't know, I mean, to be honest, most of the streaming services are doing their own original programming that they own and create and are requesting files if something comes to their service from somewhere else. For instance, HBO Max got Big Bang Theory from Paramount Global, and they got the files that probably aired on CBS when it was originally aired. So, um, I, 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 so 
Amazon is, is trying to increase the amount of audio description and taking up a bit of an unusual uh, approach to it to increase it. So to my knowledge, um, they're the only ones that are going beyond doing their programming that they actually own and then requesting files that come with the products that were already audio described. So I would say the best route is for us to advocate for folks to have everything audio described when they go to the uh, uh, various streaming services. So, so, so there's really no new news. Um, we're still advocating for more and quality audio description. And I do think we're going to start to see, hopefully with, with Paramount Global's announcement that Mark told us, all prime time, because everything, Paramount Global is looking this from a large perspective, because they have, they, they have movies, they have streaming, and they have broadcast, and they're all going to intersect with each other at some point. So that's why I think they're increasing the amount of audio description, so they can have it in all those areas. And I see the Disney owns HBO and Hulu and 20th Century, and, and Comcast owns Peacock and NBC Universal and Universal Studios. So I do see over time now that the streaming wars are starting to settle down and people have built the platforms and infrastructure infrastructure, excuse me, that audio description will increase. And I do agree with Mark wholeheartedly that we are about to be on the cuff of increased audio description, but we haven't heard anything officially from anybody saying they're going to do it. Carl, I know that was a long answer. Well, that was a good answer, though, I think. Um, and I would add that um, the other entity to watch in the streaming um, not so distant future is um, Discovery and um, HBO Max. Um, AT&T or Warner Media is merging with Discovery um, this spring, and that brings HBO Max into the Discovery family. And I think Discovery Plus is um, going to change, you know, a lot of what it's doing. HBO Max is going to merge into that. They've got a lot to sort out to figure out where it is. But in the long run, I think it's going to be a plus for audio description. So hope that helps you understand <laughs> the complexity of, of, of what streaming services are doing. But I think there will be more to come. Mark, do you have anything to add that maybe Kim and I didn't touch on? No, Carl, you, you touched about it. You know, I think um, this comes back to my comment uh, earlier about uh, all the aspects of TV not being, although it's a down, upstream, downstream sort of pattern like water and power, the moving parts are so complex and streaming has grown so quickly. You know, our companies have merged and, and grown. Um, and I think all of our companies tend to have many silos where, um, as we call them, assets lie. And I think it's a matter of, as we all move to the cloud and merge these silos with our companies, I think it's going to be a natural progression that these assets will flow more freely. I mean, I can tell you from my own experience that since my initial involvement as the manager of Caption ABC in 88, I've always been about recycling files. I'm always offering the entities to reuse them. And, um, you know, I'm very, very big on recycling of these files in the beginning. So I, I think you'll see more and more of that as our, our silos become uh, more unified. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Okay, ready to take the next raise hand? Uh, next, we have Ann and DA Pimley. Question We received uh, described video, audio uh, on several 
different uh, channels, uh, but we're having some trouble with PBS channel. You know, shows that are labeled as being uh, described. Uh, our PBS uh, affiliate says that they're passing on the uh, description. Our provider saying anything that they receive that's, you know, described as, as being passed on to the consumer, but we're not getting it. It's a question, who do we talk to? Because neither one of them wants to take uh, credit or blame for the problem. Did you say P PBS as in the public broadcasting system? Yes, sir. Okay. So by law, every station, and Mark, you can correct me if I'm wrong, every station is supposed to have a captioning contacted listed on their website for quality concerns and, and making sure that the captions are carried through. It has been my experience. I know Kim does this all the time. She'll call sometimes during the show, talk to the caption and the engineer, and before the show's even over, the audio description will be turned on. So I would suggest reaching out to the captioning contact because they're often the same people that also do the audio description because um, they both are seen as accessibility features. So I would reach out to whoever is required to do captioning for your local television station. Yeah, Thank and you. this is Kim. And if that doesn't work, feel free to, to contact me or Carl. And um, did you tell us who your, your provider was, your cable have, or? But, uh, we're, we're using Spectrum right now. Okay, that's helpful because if you can't resolve it through your local affiliate, as just what Carl said, then we would go back to Spectrum and help advocate for you and with you. So we had um, the same problem with AT and T. Yeah, yeah, so it it does happen. So getting supposed to they should the for the shows that they are identifying with audio description. You know they should be passing it through so we'll we'll try to help you out and have a conversation with that captioning expert at your affiliate and if that doesn't work reach out through the acb office to me or to carl and they'll tell you how to reach us all right thank you thank you and you, and, and you should also know that when those uh emails come to us uh i'm behind the scene there and i filter those out to the appropriate parties and in the case of a local affiliate i'll often go right to our affiliate relations uh relations team at CBS, the CBS station, and we'll reach out to the general manager and get things fixed very quickly. But um, when you mentioned the MVPDs, we call them, uh, Comcast, Charter, um, they're all great partners, but there's so many moving parts in their end that mm -hmm. things can often get uh, whacked, as we say, in the turnaround, the signal is being processed as I refer to so many times. And then the other problem you can often face with the MVPD is if you call a customer uh, help center, the people there on the general lines aren't always uh, trained specifically how to answer accessibility calls. And uh, many times they'll say, uh, call the network or, or call whoever else, but that's because um, you haven't gotten the right person. So I think Carl's right as as, uh, as Kim, when you find the right person, they'll get fixed. And um, I think the best way to start is as Carl mentioned with the uh, captioning contacts. Yeah. yeah, good advice, Mark, thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well. We don't have very much time left, but I wanted to give each of our presenters, Carl, Joel, and Mark, an opportunity to just make a closing statement about where things are going. And you've made some references to that today, but we'd like to go out hopefully on a positive note about where you think we're going for the future. Mark, why don't you start? 
Well, I think our future begins now with what you've seen us announced today with the expansion to uh, Paramount Global CBS Television Network. And we're looking to grow from there wherever we can. We're examining every opportunity for expansion. And I think there'll be more to come as the uh, days and months uh, progress. Carl? So I see uh, more multiple languages happening as the streaming services become more and more global. I see uh, the ability to do it in stereo, in Dolby Atmos, and um, that that's basically what, what I think the future is holding. That's exciting. And Joel? Oh, live would... and live streaming <laughs> services. I'm live sorry. Okay. okay. There yeah. you go. There you go. Yeah. And I would say, uh, since we've been talking principally about media here, I think that I'm hopeful for amendments to the CVAA, Communications and Video Accessibility Act, that will mandate description on broadcast television at higher levels and actually include a percentage increase for each year that goes by, which is exactly what they did with captioning some 40 years ago. We deserve that with audio description as well. And the other thing I'll, I'll say with regard to media is that, you know, as smartphones become more and more ubiquitous, uh, I think the smartphone is um, in the future of audio description access. Right now, you can go to movie theaters or even be at home uh, and download something called Spectrum Access from uh, Charter Communications, it's an app. Uh, you download the app to your phone, and then if a, a movie comes on in the movie theater or on your television that uh, they own the description to, have license to, you can download the description to the app. The app syncs it automatically with what it hears, and you have audio description through your own headset. So that's an advance, and I think that's gonna proliferate. Absolutely. Great, great, great comments. Um, thank you to our listeners today for tuning in and having good questions for us. Um, if we have other questions, send them to the questions at acb.org and we'll follow up. And I want to thank our presenters as well today for an excellent um, presentation. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone.